Okay, I do believe we are live right now. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Break the Rules After Hours live stream. I am your host, Lev Polyakov. With me is Giovanni Penichetti wearing a very fashionable hat that, listen, if you are watching this on YouTube, you are not going to get a chance to see this hat. It is going to be uh, hidden for you for, from you forever. So go and watch the YouTube link. You are going to see the YouTube link on my Twitter, uh, as well as uh, the uh, Patreon link. So become a patron, patreon.com slash break the rules. But basically, we are going to have... A conversation kind of like after the initial stream with uh, Sticks and Jonathan Peugeot, which I thought was an incredible stream, one of the best streams we've had where we actually had to have a civil discussion about Christianity, paganism, and it was kind of like a little bit of debate, a little bit of discussion. Definitely check it out uh, after, after you watch this. But this is an opportunity for you, for the people, to let us know what you think about Christianity versus paganism. And uh, we have uh, we have uh, over here a lot of people coming in. We have Hopper, we have King Salmon, and of course we have uh, coming in, we have um, Hemingway, who is a contributing writer to The Spectator, columnist for Young Voices. Speaking of which, by the way... I did poetry at 12 years old, and one of the magazines that I submitted my poetry to was Young Voices Magazine. So I don't know if that's available <laughs> somewhere on the internet. It may, there you go. It separate may be, publication. Yeah, separate publication. But who knows? Maybe I could write some poetry for you guys as well. We'll, we'll figure something out. So anyway, Hemingway, have you had a chance to uh, watch the stream? And in general, um, you, were, you were making a point earlier on about uh, this uh, you know, neo-paganism that we may be seeing today so uh take it away brother well what if i didn't watch the stream what if i just like you guys build me and i just stumbled in here like what's going on uh, well i like to for context i said that um my one friend conscious abyss on twitter was talking about his company uh talking about like this uh, vr office space in the metaverse and how the metaverse will sort of be like the pleasure dome uh, Second Life reboot, but now it will integrate work. So, like, for example, the past two years with remote working, it seems that work has consumed everyday life, but it's almost like the perfect, like, um, up, like it's the perfect capstone to the, like, American residual Protestant work ethic and how that's sort of like a sort of neo-pagan, like, you know, the metaverse will deliver you into uh, these, like, realms of... Uh, a pure ecstasy the way that like some illusion mystery taking uh you know irrigot gas is going to deliver you into some kind of like uh total totalizing self-involved universe but um so you had so quay uh you you had thoughts on that so. yeah so i mean this isn't the most on topic for the stream but uh i'll, I'll definitely like kind of share what i was saying before we went live um so what you're talking about, and I think this is a really good point, is the uh, the virtual reality aspect of the metaverse. But that's only kind of one side of it. There's the alternate reality like side of it, too. Industry. You know, cool, VR, you know, <laughs> VR street art or whatever, where Zuck's trying to act or whatever. Um, but it's, you know, alternate reality is this idea of, like, kind of uh, overlaying virtual elements on top of the real world. Um, so the first example, so I've seen, like, a ton of comparisons to Second Life with the metaverse and that's a totally apt comparison to the vr aspects but i feel like fewer people have addressed the alternate reality aspect and that's what i tried to do in this piece i wrote a while ago for national review but the alternate reality aspect the real kind of template for that is pokemon go and like mm. objectively speaking pokemon go stuck 
Like, it was a poorly made game. It was full of glitches from day one. Some of the glitches they just never bothered fixing and said, nope, this is just how the game is now. Um, like, it, it, it stuck as a game. But everyone was obsessed with it because it was the first taste we had of this alternate reality. Um, but basically, the, one of the connections I made in my head was uh, there was this thing where there was some, like, island uh, in some really remote part of the world that was, like, the only place where this one rare Pokemon showed up. And you had to, like, row to the middle of this island yeah, yeah. to get this Pokemon. And I was like, that's a pilgrimage. Like, yes. <laughs> oh, God. It's, it's no different, right? A pil- you go to a pilgrimage to a place that's a shrine of a great saint because there's some sense in which something higher, some spiritual reality is is breaking through our material reality in that place in a unique way. So, you know, going to Canterbury to uh, to venerate the relics of uh, Thomas Beckett, it's like, how is that how is that different from going to this island to encounter this this Pokemon? Right. Mm. That's that you can look through your your phone, your VR headset and see mm. there and only there in the specific place. And the difference is, you know, um, uh, Thomas Beckett is present there in a, a special way through through God's through mm. God's plan and God's providence and God's grace. And the Pokemon or whatever it is in the metaverse is there through you know Zuck? Zuck is Zuck is gone. Real, uh, re- real quick, yeah. Ge- Geo, your keyboard th- uh, sounds incredibly sorry, loud. Sorry. Just, just so you know, whenever, whenever you move around with the phone, it's a different microphone than your regular mic, so all the sounds end up being picked up. Not me though, because I have the uh, uh, the emulation of uh, this program on my computer. But anyway, uh, one, one. Yeah, Apple makes me buy an attachment. One uh, um, one counterpoint. No. Wait, hold on, Gio. Real quick, one counterpoint that I would add to uh, what uh, Hemingway was uh, talking about right now regarding Pokemon. I would agree with Hemingway uh, when it comes to the actual, let's say, the aesthetics. Not just the glitches, which I also agree with, but the aesthetics of Pokemon Go. Uh, they, as well as the new games, I find to be very dull, very uh, base, not based but base when it comes to the uh, color design and when it comes to other design elements. So if you look, for example, at the original Pokemon games, I don't know if you grew up with Pokemon, but the original, you know, Pokemon Red, Blue, Yellow, Gold, Silver, so on and so forth, they had a very limited amount of storage space for the data. But what they were able to do with that storage space, the way that they arranged the various figures, I would say that that is very similar to a lot of these various Shintoist Buddha, Buddhist paintings uh, that uh, existed in uh, Japan. And I think their sensibility of how they depict things using the least amount of details, that there is something about that. We were talking right at the end with Jonathan Peugeot about beauty, that there is something beautiful there. And that kind of beauty, I think, is something that can lift you up to a higher state. I would also say that Pokemon themselves are archetypes for different things. Obviously, I think there are archetypes that have been split into, you know, sub-archetypes or whatever you want to Here call it. Here we go. Yes. But in general, I think that there is this Shintoist tendency within the Pokemon world, which I think also uh, has been corrupted to a certain extent by other influences where it has cheapened it in a certain way. But I'm curious... So, if so you're have... comparing... You're comparing, like, early, gra- like, limited graphic video games to, uh, like... The Japanese aesthetic notion of ma or negative space. Yes. And the uh, J- the Japanese and the Taoist uh, landscape painting. Yes. Oh my. God. Yes. I don't know, Lev. I don't. 
That's kind of sus, in my opinion. No, but they but, co- uh, but they also... come from the same they come from the same origin. If we're talking about people who have passed on their knowledge of arts and crafts, you know, for uh, generations within Japan, so I don't see this as being that uh, you know you know that great of a leap to make here. Well, well, we have also um, in this space we have uh, my good friend Frog Green and also Josh Neal. If they want to talk, um, yes, you can request. But and also Butch, I wonder if uh, like. The way it works is like uh, you have to at least follow us, and you know we have you have to realize we're also simulcasting on YouTube, so this is being recorded and Odyssey and and Twitch. Yeah. So it's like we don't want any like gamer words or anything like that. But uh, so anyways, to get back on topic, um, I well I I, I, I did mention. Want... Yeah, 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 and also I have a point about the. Oh yeah. yeah. Um. So I'm I'm a little out of my depth with the uh, the the Japanese art history stuff that you said. It's certainly interesting, and I'll look into it more. Um, you know what I would say with with Pokemon Go is, you know, it had it had sort of two alternate reality aspects. One was kind of visual, where you could like, you know, look through your camera and see a Pokemon, and that was terrible. Like the proportions were off, the art was bad. Like that was awful. What really like hooked people was the spatial aspect of it. That like by taking a walk or going to a real landmark, you actually, like, accomplished something within the game. Like, you navigated the game space by navigating the real world. I think that's what was interesting yeah. to people. That was what was really the draw. Like, the artistic side of it was bad. But, yes. And the game design part of it was bad. That was the only cool part. But people went insane for it, even though everything else sucked. And I think that we're just going to see the visual integration with the real world get better and better. And, you know, if everybody went crazy for just this little taste of it that we got with pokemon go i'm i'm slightly terrified to see what we end up with well there's so much tastelessness uh, within this uh, vr space which i'm hopefully going to amend you guys got to give me the power to create virtual worlds i'll do a good job but in general just like that vr marriage or sorry that um yeah that virtual reality marriage i don't know if you guys saw that where these two uh, uh you know these two you know the uh, guy and gal they were in this avatar which just looked so dumb you know the avatars they just looked very uh you know very very tasteless you know there wasn't anything special about them they were just some stupid avatars and yet they got married and this is what they saw you know that's the thing that i really dislike about this vr space uh, potential because most people are just gonna go for the slop and i'm not really sure uh, what else to say there but let it let's open it up to other people who want to uh talk as well so well yeah I think it's interesting, though, before that is, um, like, I, I, I said this, I tweeted this once, um, because I, I read the one recent uh, Zero HP Lovecraft story uh, um, that had, like, a lot of inspiration from, I remember that one video a few years ago, what hyperreality would look like in sort of, like, the uh, mass VR adaptation. And it's like you would see the street signs glow, you'd have, like, NFT... Uh, custom uh, Air Jordans that look like, you know, that look like yeah. ass. Um, you had that pet then, dog. Do you like, remember the virtual pet? Yeah, yeah, you had virtual pets. But I think, like, what's interesting is that um, they were talking about how in the VR, you, you would have, like, warning signs that would come out. Like, there would be speakers everywhere that would that your VR headset would trigger, and then you would get a, a message of some kind. And I said, it's almost like where entering this uh weird uh like almost i would say like <laughs> like technology induced schizophrenia which is quite interesting that's related to the sort of mystical like you know the trees are going to talk to you now it's almost like 
a return to a weird form of animism. Uh, I don't know about that, but it's, uh, it's interesting to say the least. Hey. Oh, sorry. I, I clicked on mute. I clicked mute accidentally. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, I'm not stopping for too long. Uh, I just I heard you like denigrating Pokemon, and I just thought, no, this has to stop. Uh, <laughs> but also, oh, no, no, Lev. But um, no, no. The main thing I was going to say was uh, the the, uh, the alternate reality thing, like the augmented reality, or whatever you want to call it, with the Pokemon Go thing. Like, I don't know if you had this, had this in America, but here in the UK, people were getting robbed because of Pokemon Go. Um, like, people would set up them gym things, or whatever they were called, like, um, like a Pokemon hunt, and people would, like, come to a GPS area, and then everyone would get their phones robbed by people with knives. Like, that's... Oh, God. Like, <laughs> like, just, that happened here, too, yeah. That it happened. did happen, yeah, okay, I thought yeah, it must have done, yeah, like, yeah. Walking into traffic and stuff and getting hit by cars, too, trying to catch Pikachus or whatever. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah, there was, yeah. like, other accidents Or, or, well, or so. going into the They'll church, just... like, during the funeral services and trying to catch Pokemon there in church. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my God. So, you know, don't um, don't walk into the augmented reality with open arms, let's say that, because uh, there could be ways that people are trying to take advantage of you in this situation. But um, another thing that I wanted to ask as well, because I haven't actually had a chance to watch the stream yet, although I will do probably in the next half an hour or so, um, but who do you think won? Did paganism finally get a win? Oh. <laughs> it wasn't really a debate per se. It, it wasn't no? like a winner or loser thing. It was. It was interesting though. It was like uh, it was very interesting to hear Jonathan and Sticks talk. Um, and yeah, what well, is Jonathan? Is he Catholic or is he just like he's an Orthodox? What, he's an Orthodox. Orthodox. Well, as yeah. in like which kind of Orthodox? Um. I think Peugeot's, um, I think Peugeot's in the Antiochian, uh, yeah. of Orthodoxy. Yeah. Okay. So, so that is, like, uh, Romanian, or... Antiochian is, is, like, Arab. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, right, well, so it's not, like, Coptic, it's, it's a bit different hmm. to that or something, I guess. Well, Antioch... Yeah, Coptics are... Cops are non-Chalcedonian, so that's a, a separate communion from Eastern Orthodoxy. Yeah. Hmm. Well, the Antioch is around, uh, Turkey, I believe, well, modern-day Turkey, right? Mm. So then that it wouldn't be Arab as a well, I guess you could say that the Arabs went into Turkey, but before that, the proper thing would be Anatolian, I guess. I don't know what would be the uh, distinction there, because you do have people who lived in that area, in that region, for a really, really long time. I mean, in fact, we could say that the whole uh, Noah's Ark story was possibly based on a real uh, survival situation where there was a uh, vessel that landed on Mount Ararat, from which point the uh, survivors of the ancient civilizations had to restart anew. And it seems like, you know, we find a lot of different, uh, from what I understand, we find a lot of uh, DNA related to the uh, Indo-Europeans uh, or Aryans or whatever you want to call them from that specific uh, area. So I'm curious if you uh, have looked into that as well. I've just been, you know, very um, lightly looking into that whole thing, but I do find it interesting to think about how there may have been certain cataclysms that... Per, uh, perpetuated this idea of uh, Noah's Ark as well as other stories that people have had throughout very different, uh, uh, very different cultures talking about the same thing happening. Yeah, I think it could be possible. I mean, but I don't, 
for me, like, I see a lot more of these stories more as, like, symbolic rather than literal a lot of the time. But, like, um, but it isn't completely impossible. Like, a, a massive flood could easily happen. Like, we've, we saw the tsunami in Japan. Like, that could easily be, like, a biblical story if you wanted it to be, mm. you know? But according to Graham Hancock so, uh, specifically and uh, Randall Carlson, there are these scab lands, there are things that could be looked at as signs of this giant cataclysm occurring 11,000 years ago. So I wouldn't say there's nothing to back up a lot of these things. Same thing with something like Gobekli Tepe, which is also in Turkey. So this would also be somewhere very close to... To where the ark could have landed, where this uh, structure was buried for around 9,000 years, something crazy like that. And the archaeologists, uh, so-called, are attributing this to uh, hunter-gatherers. But this is a very, very advanced thing that I don't think hunter-gatherers would have any business constructing, especially if there are indications that uh, the symbols there align with certain uh, uh, um, you know star patterns things like that i don't know if that's the case or not that's uh, you know so, some people are talking about that being the case but i am curious like uh, hemingway have you looked into that whole thing about the flood and uh, all that that i mentioned and then we have yeah next. yes yeah. in terms of the in terms of the historicity of, of a like kind of a, a global or, or large scale flood i haven't looked into that a whole lot one thing that's interesting about gobekli tebi from what i've from what i've read and, and listened to is um, you would you would think kind of taking a materialist um, set of presuppositions that uh, permanent settlements would arise as a result of like you know you'd settle near a river or near somewhere that made sense, um, but Gobekli Tepe doesn't seem to be there. Like it seems as, as though it started out as a ritual site that like various hunter gatherer groups would kind of travel to and and perform rituals and then leave and like as people you know people realized those people needed places to stay and, and to eat and stuff. And so they started building kind of permanent settlements around it. So if it started out as a ritual site and, you know, the, the place was either chosen completely arbitrarily, which, which doesn't seem to make sense because why would people keep coming? Um, or, you know, the, the people who decided to set up the ritual site there were, were genuinely experiencing something in that particular place. Um, which kind of goes back to the uh, the point I was making earlier about like pilgrimage sites or, or thin places that I think there are you know real places where certain spiritual forces can break through in a way. Um. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, Paulus, uh, you're next, buddy. Hey everyone, Paulus here from Myth Pilot. Um, I just wanted to react a little bit um, to what people were saying about uh, Pokemon Go. Um, and, you know, what I think about that is that actually, you know, what we're seeing is the beginning of a post-literate society and a post-rational society and a society that is uh, much more oriented towards um, kind of these imaginative spaces, um, but that are actually created for us in a way that they weren't before. Um, and this is really interesting because this goes back to um, kind of the pre-modern mind. Um, if you think about paganism, um, you know, in the ancient world, every stream, every hill, every tree had its own spirit. And as you walked through the landscape, you know, as an ancient person, it would really be alive for you. Um, and there would, you know, you would experience it through this mythic layer um, that was um, that was kind of draped over the landscape. Um, and, you know, what's really interesting about all this VR stuff and then also even just about, you know, our digital digital age with TikTok and YouTube 
um, is that right now people don't read books. Um, they don't, you know, you know, the modern mind kind of reads theory, uh, like reads a few different books and magazines, decides, yes, I'm going to believe that. And then that's how you kind of construct your identity. Um, that's not really happening anymore. And, and people also um, don't get a chance to exercise their imagination, right? Mm-hmm. As when you read a book, yeah. you, have to, you have to exercise your imagination so that you can visualize what you're reading. Um, you know, really now what we're moving into is, is, um, is kind of this mode where you, you don't have an imagination. Your imagination is actually on TikTok, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, it's like, uh, it's, like, it's like Rudolf Steiner, for example, who we were talking about uh, before during the uh, Styx-Peugeot uh, conversation. And I do want to get back to that initial topic of paganism versus Christianity. But uh, regarding Steiner, he did not even recommend for little kids to play with blocks because he thought that blocks were too descriptive of something. So he wanted little... Minecraft? Hello? Can, can, he wanted can I little kids to play... To Paul a, a, sure. a little bit there? Because you really yeah. made me think of something when you were when you were saying that about the how it's post-rationalist people aren't reading and stuff like that and they're not they're having their reality curated for them basically yes, is kind of yes. what you're getting at. and that to me reminds me of the point in history before the printing press and where priests would read the bible to people but they weren't really reading it they were just telling them what they wanted the people to believe Yes, and then when they could read it for themselves, that's caused the Reformation and all kinds of bullshits to happen. So, um, yeah, I just it just reminded me of that as if like you know, because to me, I always see history in cycles, and um, it all it's almost like we're entering into that cycle again through. We're going uh, back. We're going yeah, back. like through this new technology, we're kind of going back. It seems way. Yeah, hyper, yeah. Yeah, well, oh, like the hyper literacy is pulling towards almost a weird form of like neo illiteracy. But yeah, Quay and then uh, my good friend, uh, Foggrain. Mm. And also, oh, Geo, yeah, Geo, yeah, yeah. Ge- real quick, uh, Geo, don't forget to okay. mute yourself, Geo, when you move around, because uh, there's... Oh, sorry, there's I just had to time. get on my legs, you know. No, no problem, no Pumping the blood. Yes. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I think um, I think Paulus made a really good point, uh, and that, yeah, I think, I mean, that there's this very Pajovian idea, I guess, if I that's a term um you know he he did say during the stream that like re-enchantment is coming whether you want it or not and i think that the metaverse is a huge idea is a huge aspect of that like paulus was saying you know people you know pre-modern people would walk around and you know they would genuinely experience the world in this enchanted way like there's a there's a guy i forget his name but he was a christian missionary for these like you know barely like barely contacted tribes in in the amazon i think and he actually like lost his faith and then wrote this book. So, you know, he wasn't a Christian anymore. So he has no ulterior motive in saying this, but he talks about like an encounter he had where this tribe was the, like the whole tribe was standing on this river, looking out onto this little Island in the river and saying like, there's a demon there. Like there's a demon standing on that Island walking around and he's standing there with them. Like there's nothing there. Like he, he can't see anything, mm. but clearly they all would. Um, clearly there's something going on there. there. So I think that mm. that's what the metaverse is doing is it's just like, you know, we've passed from this enchanted world to this materialism, and now we're sort of like using the tools, um, you know, of, of science and everything that the materialism, you know, in many ways has given us, and almost use, using those to circle us back into uh, into uh, a kind of 
world that's been re-enchanted in this kind of, uh, you know, jerry-rigged way, I guess. I, uh, I partly disagree. The reason why I disagree is when you have this virtual landscape, I think you're creating a closed loop where only the people who are, let's say, if we take the view of the brain as a receiver, when they're receiving particular bits of information, those are the ones that they are adding into this world. But I don't think they're allowing for this more natural ability to get in touch with the, uh, whatever you want to call it, the Akashic Records or the spirit world that, let's say, the people, like the tribal people you were describing, did have access to. Oh, no, we're on the same page. No, that's, that's why I think it's insidious, because we've replaced the idea of getting in touch with this objective spiritual world that's... that's you know, placed there by, you know, I don't know, the Tao or the gods or God, depending on your tradition. And we've replaced this with something that's placed there by a human controller or a set of human controllers that even if they allow kind of third party generated content within this metaverse, these third party controllers are still the ones setting the terms, you know, Zuckerberg and, and these other Silicon Valley types. They're the ones setting the terms on which, um, you know, by which this pseudo spiritual higher reality operates. There was, um, there was really, oh. that's terrifying. It's like what C.S. Lewis talks about in the abolition man. If you place this set of human controllers over everyone, they can just remake the world and remake humanity in their own, Im in their own image or in whatever image they want. There was a very fascinating, point. there was a very fascinating book, which I highly recommend everybody to check out. It was recommended to me by Daniel Pinchback, actually. Uh, it's uh, called Daimonic Reality. Oh, God. It was called B Daimonic Reality by uh, Patrick Harper. And it outlines a lot of these various uh, various meetings that people have had with these various spirits. So, for example, the Irish, when they meet fairies, they don't see the fairies as these small beings. Instead, when they see the fairies, they're these six-foot-tall, godlike, uh, blonde-haired, uh, you know, spectral beings... Uh, that are kind of like the elves, you could say, from Lord of the Rings. And uh, when it comes to the statue of Mary, for example, not statue, when it comes to the image of Mary that, let's say, uh, you would see in South America, you would see in various places where they would claim the Virgin Mary appeared, those, according to Harper, were the same areas where they would have seen certain fertility goddesses appear to them, and they had, like, the same look of the beautiful, uh, you know, the beautiful woman, and there may be something to that world interacting with this world. And uh, I think there may be also something with the UFO phenomenon, people reporting alien abduction. This is something that Harper also harped on about uh, when it comes to, uh, uh, when it oh, comes yeah, to those UFO interaction. Yeah, fairies are absolutely the same thing. Yeah. But it's, it's funny, uh, that could be the next uh, Keith Woods video. Well, you know, fairies are... Uh, I, I can't do the accent. Um, <laughs> well, you know, there, there's uh, some fairies down there, laddie. Yeah, oh, he... No, but he's got, like, the proper uh, Irish, um, Curl Marks, uh, third position. Yeah. Uh, fairies in third position. Anyways, Fog Brain, you're up next, my friend. Uh, hello. Thank you so much for having me here, and it's good to, uh, finally speak to you, G, on, on voice oh, yeah. chat. Uh, yeah, I just oh. wanted to kind of, like, quickly touch on sort of the same similar points that Quay and, uh, and, um, Polis, I think his name was brought up about these interactions between like because the ethical and philosophical discussions around these vr and ar spaces and then the metaverse stuff it's all coming to a head quite quickly and one sort of thought and lev touched on it with um the archetypes in pokemon is a lot of these culturally significant um video games um not all video games just these significant ones like pokemon or fortnite whatever it might be is um i had a thought recently 
about them being like a collective uh, sort of mandala of uh, psychological essence or um, expression of how these particular developers or studios um, view society as a whole or a particular subject, whatever it is, and integrate how people directly interact with these um, expressions. And a lot of the misinterpretations about how video games develop, like people are under the assumption that it's the same thing as like movie development or whatever. And, you know, working in games myself, I kind of like, you get an experience and it's not the same thing. It's more like, oh, don't get me wrong, there's still hierarchies in place and, you know, there's people who have to answer other people and all that, but um, it's still a collective effort. And there's a lot of, even at the lowest levels, there is like an artistic expression at some level every single person who works on these games and so like these ethical and philosophical discussions about how this stuff is now being integrated into society as as how people you know play within these spaces and now they're becoming almost like a type of sacred space where people gather around and have these almost ritualistic uh i don't know what you call them just places where people gather in one space um to talk about these particular things or out whatever it is and it's, I don't know, it's a very different discussion that nobody's really having um, yet. And it's only just coming now. Before. Yeah, well, we have to face people like Zuckerberg and all these other, you know, very powerful figureheads who are really not educated on this particular subject, whether it's, you know, the philosophical ramifications of it and the, the esoteric and exoteric, um, you know, expressions of these games and whatnot, because they're, they're becoming more significant it's it is a ritualistic uh place for people to gather now in in sublimation of you know churches and stuff not being as in vogue as they used to be fog brain i have a question for you regarding this what do you think about yeah. the uh tumblerettes about all those uh people who grew up during the uh, rise of Tumblr, who are now occupying certain positions, not only in universities now, but in various corporations, where they do have their own, uh, you know, I mean, it's such a tired term, woke culture, but you know what I mean. How much do you think that that has not only seeped into the video game world, as well as our collective unconscious, but how much do you think that there is an inherent, maybe not often said amongst most normies, but an inherent disgust with this particular culture, that is also uh, going to uh, come to a head at a at a certain point. Oh man, are we doing Gamergate discourse? Yes, we're doing oh, Gamergate discourse. It does sound like that. Yeah, I mean, it's we're kind gonna of have like... a panel on Gamergate actually, but we have to with a, with, with the New York Times. Uh, I know a journalist from the New York Times who uh, wrote about Gamergate. You know, obviously in the kind of way where you know the New York Times would uh, appreciate his views. Uh, but uh, it would be interesting to get him on to speak with some uh, people. Yeah, get him uh, on with uh, Matt Forney and David Serena. No, I'm. <laughs> yeah, Matt. Uh, uh, yeah. Sorry, I. I sorry, um, Fogbrain. I'll. Uh, I, I realize I cut you. Um, but uh, if you want to do a Gamergate panel or anything with like Tumblr and influence on the rise of woke culture, Catherine D. That's something. Yeah, my good. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's off Twitter now. But, she's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I I can contact her though. I can. Yeah. Mm. We could get it done. Well, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just on the Gamergate thing. It's it, it has kind of already had its day in the sun where the ramifications of the outcomes of what happened in Gamergate has already kind of, like, whatever um, insurgents of people that were kind of, like, taking control of these spaces and 
and um, getting their positions into these various studios or entertainment industries, it's already kind of happened. Um, they're now well integrated into it, and it is part of what the culture is now. The, like, development culture, what it was 20 years ago to where it is now is completely different. Um, and it's it's going to keep, you know, evolving into, like, a more extrapolated, more powerful version of where it's at now to where they will be directing discourse. They already do that in some level with how they make aversively political statements in their video games. Not in the way that, like, something like Pokemon would, where it's, like, having this kind of, like, subtext about its, you know, man's orphic relationship with, um, you know, nature and, and the environment, its impact on that, which is, like, it's fine to have those things. I'm not saying it's, like, a bad thing to talk about politics in video games on some level because it's hard to get away from politics in general or not. But, like, when it gets more, like... Um, in the same way that, like, mainstream media is, it, it literally is trying to, like, tell you what to think rather than being some sort of artistic expression. Mm. Um, like, because of the, how infantile gaming is as, as a medium, um, it's kind of... Ha- it, it hasn't had that time to gestate itself to to have these um, expressions be more meaningful and impactful and really, like, meticulously go over these particular ideas and evolve them over time seems much more natural in its discourse than it is now where it's just like it's overtly political statements and it's trying to tell what the uh, the viewer or the player or whatever it is exactly what to think. And um, it kind of goes, you know, all the way down throughout, you know, development studios and all that where, you know, the culture is telling them what to how to operate within the workspace, um, what opinions they should have. Because it's all about, like, it's a very um, narcissistic industry. I mean, much like the film industry is. It's all about, like, mm. you know, and that's how you... Well, animation, and animation well, we, industry is similar. We talked about this in the DMs. Oh, what did you say, Lev? Well, animation industry, I think, is pretty similar today. And I am curious, you mentioned yeah. evolution. I am more of a believer in devolution than evolution. As in, I believe in natural selection, but I believe it is much easier for processes to start devolving and degrading rather than building themselves up. And it doesn't mean that there wouldn't be certain ones that would build themselves up, but in general, I just see things as being way more infantile today. There was this one TikTok from Libs of TikTok, shout out to Libs of TikTok, who I hope we can have on as well, but there was this one TikTok with this lady who had these uh, moles on her face and she was a teacher uh, for various grades in uh, in public oh, school. Oh, the fat one? Yes, yes, the fat one. And where she was mimicking how teachers react, uh, how students, her students reacted to her adopting the pronoun of uh, mix. So not miss, but mix. mix. Mix, that was her pronoun. And how the whole thing just looked so infantile, the way that she was mimicking the kids speaking with her. And so, like, I almost expect there to be literal diaper wearers, not just the diaper furs, not just the baby furs, but, like, actual diaper-wearing infants uh, who are going to be adults who are going to be going, uh, you know, being They're very active. They're diaper people. Be- being very active, m- much more active than today within politics, within, you know, various spaces like that. I expect to see more people with Look. the with the Zeta symbol on their Twitter profile, you know, uh, running for governor, you know? <laughs> do you know well, mix, uh, do, do you know what I mean I by mean, the Zeta symbol like by the way? Do you know do you know what I mean by the Zeta symbol? 
Yeah, I can't. I can't wait until like you know twenty. Uh, I can't wait till like twenty fifty when like the Democratic nominee for president is like a cat girl with like a genetically imp- like a you know an actual implanted tail that she can control, and like the Republican nominee spent like his twenties like retweeting like weird Zoomer theosis stuff, and they'll like bring this up at debates. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, you retweeted well, the tweet that uh, men shouldn't see their wives naked. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently, um, the. What is she? The uh, Prime Minister of Finland? Oh, yeah, she... The uh, she, she, The 30-year-old? No, yeah, she is a cat girl. It's already She's happened. a cat girl. No, but, yeah. but is it confirmed oh, that, it, that it is her who was doing those photoshops of her with the cat ears? Or is it just, like, yeah, some fans I think of her? it was her. Like, she's a cat girl. So, yeah, but that's still... Anyway. That's aesthetically pleasing. So, I would actually say, Hemingway, that I imagine there will be a Republican running for Congress who would be a common... Like, they would be a cat girl or a cat boy, but that would be much more aesthetic well, than, than the... Uh, yes. Yes, exactly. So that's, but it would be much more, much more aesthetic. Yes. It would be much more aesthetic, though, than, let's say, some of those demonic-looking, uh, you know who I'm talking about, you know, who go to the, uh, to the uh, reading to the reading for the children, you know, like, I don't even know if we can mention who they are, but the point is, is that there oh, is this, no. there is yeah. this very negative aesthetic having to do with a lot of these very exaggerated demonic features, and it's very different from, you know, like, something like various uh, certain story a- hour no, no yes but it's very different from anime and japanese video games where you actually do have certain uh, characteristics like that like in one piece for example you have the okama you know okama way you know like Emp- emporio vankov his name is who is based on um frank dr frank and further from the rocky horror picture show but there is something very tongue-in-cheek about that kind of depiction, where a lot of these guys are depicted, you know, they all, they have, like, the uh, five o'clock shadow going on, as well as the lipstick, but there is something about that where they, they poke fun at it and it isn't taken as seriously, but now I think within these spaces, it is something that is taken quite seriously, where if you even dare making fun of it, then you are seen as being, you know, a bigot, and how dare you, and, you know, they've taken all the fun well, out of, of a lot of these things. Back, yeah. Like, uh, what I wanted to say with Fogbrain, then we'll get more speakers, is... Um, Can I, I pose I a think... question after you're done, actually? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so, me, me and him, we went over this, like, in Discord and so forth. But this debate, whether um, in this sort of, like, Benjamin, like, post-aura civilization, how, like, if video games could potentially be, like, a form of a work of art. Because it, like, even more than film, because you could have an art tour filmmaker. I guess you could have, like, a some schizo programmer like Yandiri Dev or that one guy that wanted to make his video game and submit it to, what was it? Um, EA or whatever. Uh, like, but it seems that video games, it's the most controlled art medium, whether we can even call it an art medium, because we have this opportunity to have a purely immersive aesthetic experience that they've been talking about since at least the late eighties, the early nineties. Um, there's this one Terrence McKenna talk about, this Osmos thing that was in MoMA that was developed by these Montreal artists where it was kind of like a VR rig that you can experience these uh, different landscapes. Now we have the capacity to have a purely immersive uh, aesthetic uh, form. But now, but it's just like kitsch and like selling the same old crap uh, game engine to children. Like they have to buy Call of Duty every year. 
And it's like woke nonsense when it's not that. So I wonder, like, I'm very skeptical of claiming that video games are themselves a work of art because it seems that, like, the the video is releasing, like, Pokemon Go, uh, you know, man-made horror is beyond our wildest dreams. So I I don't know about that. Maybe I'm just too much of a Luddite, I guess. No, I I don't, even being personally invested in it myself and, and caring pretty deeply about the medium, I just don't view it as an artistic form because of how early on just from its own genesis the commercial viability of it really just lended itself to being exploited by you know the entertainment industry as a whole and now because it's so profitable it is the most profitable industry there is culture industry yeah it is like we all are completely you're all black-pilled and super cringe right now so i'm just gonna be that guy for a moment oh my god i swear to god so thank you Home Depot buying a singular board to support the people that hate who I hate, right? For, you know, to fight the Antichrist or whatever. Um, no, I'm kidding, but I, I did buy some stuff for work and to be grounded and, like, in real... Um, so, y'all are all talking about this simulation and all this stuff and how every aspect of it is, like, demonic and fucking evil and exploited and we're all doomed and everything's terrible and every possible criticism and while i appreciate all those things and they are all actually enormously useful um i'm the kind of person who's like i truly don't give a shit if anybody calls me a schizo because i understand network effects and like when i say that i'm gonna hit up elon musk through one means or another literally the richest man in the world uh i actually have information that makes that make sense to me which is that like the degrees of separation from every single person on the planet hyper uh facilitated by the internet allow me to do that if i really want to it doesn't matter if i'm literally nobody or i get called a schizo because of course i would be called a schizo because people can't see clearly because we live in a cognitive dissonance matrix that everyone's flipping out about um and i'm just trying to get this esoteric psychological information to elon musk because there's a certain kind of shit math that i've discovered that might lead to genocide in his artificial intelligence uh projects and everyone just kisses his ass or they're retarded and attack him um so he has literally no I'm sorry, but this is the truth. Yeah, the G word, the G word, avoid. Okay. Uh, yeah. So what's what's happening is that literally everybody, um, Elon has no real support. Like, he has no geniuses that are giving him the horrifying man-made horror, cynical uh, engineering risks. Like, he's just constantly being, like, loved on or hated on. Uh, and there, there doesn't appear to be any, like, true geniuses around him that are... Uh, because he even he even put out a, a tweet from like Scott Adams talking about how he runs into more Dilbert managerial problems than you would think. Um, so that's well, Scott, uh, that's a red flag right there. Retweeting Scott. <laughs> yeah, no, that was my point. So while while everyone else is you know worried about COVID, which I don't care about anymore for the oh, most part. Oh, YouTube, we got to be careful. We are on YouTube. I, I, avoid I, avoid that too. By the way, that. Uh, I'm not criticizing or saying anything. I said I don't care. I know, I know. Um, so here's the thing. Um, here's the thing. Like, Metaverse is fine or whatever, and that's cool, but Elon is a far more capable human being, and he's also a very cool, like, good, funny dude. So this has provided an even bigger existential risk because he's far more likely to succeed. And in the uh, in the same way that I have concerns about Lex Friedman, that, you know, for all... It's the same thing with Peterson. Like, for all Peterson's study of authoritarianism, he got God real quick. And uh, so, like, that's my concern with Lex is that he's just surrounded by people with credentials uh, just repeating jargon to him with no horrifying 
you know, like brutal, sharp realism. Like, dude, do you have any idea, like the infinite number of ways that this can go wrong? And like, that needs to be of the utmost concern so we can make something cool. Like if you, cause if it's almost inevitable, the technology, uh, you know, gets to this point, like, why can't we make it something like loving and good? And like, why can't we understand that the internal simulation that is created by our five senses is it's a, we already live in a simulation, but there is an objective reality. So like, whatever matrix will never ultimately succeed in destroying the soul. But like, that's, that's my concern is that like, we can make something, make something really good and everybody's like worshiping demons and old gods and they're very, very deluded and confused. Whereas I just want to hijack this entire technology uh, for something good. And I want to provide certain mathematics and esoteric psychology uh, to illuminate some of the difficulties that we're dealing with, not only in uh, artificial intelligence, but also the entire cultural war. Um, well, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. I think like um, Elon, he doesn't seem as much of a mark for himself the way that Bill Gates or other people do. But uh, but yeah, I mean, hijacking the system for good. I mean, that's the ultimate. I think cyberpunk like ethos. But Aquay, you've been waiting patiently, my friend. Mm. So, uh, oh, and also real quick, yeah. before, oh, yeah, sure. oh, wait, hold on, before Quay, uh, I just want to say, number one, everybody who is listening to this on Twitter, subscribe to BreakTheRules.tv, and this is currently being live streamed there, so you can watch the visuals, I am just actually going to start drawing live on the screen right now, I am finishing up uh, Muscles, which is this big NFT I've been working on, as well as two of the characters from in that, one of whom is named Trooster. That's the rooster guy with the big boobs, so you're going to see uh, him as well. And uh, anyway, do that, and patreon.com slash break the rules, yada yada yada. Anyway, that's enough of me. Well, I didn't want to make, I wanted to pose a question, but first... Um... One thing that stuck that that kind of sprang to mind as you were talking about like uh, video games as an artistic medium is um, in in Camille Paglia's book uh, Glittering Images, which is kind of like a highlights of art history thing. Great did. book, great book. Oh, I love it. But yeah, her last chapter is on uh, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, which is <laughs> like she was clearly trolling a little bit the by doing that. But um, one point she makes is like that big like special effects heavy movies and i think you could transfer this to video games as well are like the closest thing we have to a gothic cathedral in the sense that like mm. it's this large like multimedia um experience where with a cathedral you know you would have stained glass and you would have carving and you would have carpentry and you would have all these you know minor craftsmen like you'd have one guy just focusing on like the very top of this one pillar making it like fixed and beautiful and you have the same thing in video games where you know maybe one guy's just getting this one part of the game perfect and you might not even look at that with your character but it's this it's creating this whole world that comes together to have an effect and you have you know music and everything but anyway um i wanted to kind of go back to the stream and ask um how Styx's remarks struck you where he was talking about like like jonathan pajot made this point of like you need initiation you need commitment you need to kind of live into this in order to extract any wisdom or, or value from it. Whereas um, Six was saying just like, no, there's lots of mountains and there's lots of paths up each mountain and you try this path out and try that path out. And at one point he was even like, oh, I might go to a monastery for a few days, but like I couldn't commit to that because I might get want to leave. I was like, well, I don't know. So I was just wondering how that struck you guys. Um, I think like Sticks just says terminal libertarian brain in my <laughs> I uh, no, I completely disagree. My whole uh, my whole opinion on this thing is that there are different ways of getting to. Hold on, Twitter has crashed. I'm gonna open it again. Everybody who is 
live just give me a second you know this happens sometimes there's not much that you can do about it so give me a second here i'm joining the space again here we go. Continue my point yeah, I go am, ahead. Good. Oh, I am. I, I think I. I mean, I, this is probably obvious based on how I framed the question, but I tend to agree more with Peugeot in that I think that, you know, you're not going to extract any value or merit from a religious tradition until you fully commit to it. At least not in any real sense. You might get some kind of like intellectual satisfaction, some concept, but unless you really commit to it, I don't think you're going to get anything out of it. Um, and also, like, there's this idea. Um, from the monks at Mount Athos that I've heard about that you don't actually want to go into it seeking after spiritual experiences. Like you yeah. don't want to become a monk so that like you can have a vision of Jesus talk to you. Like, in fact, they tell you like, if you see Jesus, like be wary of that at first. Like, yeah. Cause you could invite in anything. Yeah. Much. yeah, exactly. Be like, Hey, are you a demon trying to trick me? I'm just, you know, going crazy. Like, and then, you know, if, if, you know, you're satisfied in this, this, vision you have doesn't say anything to you that make you suspect that it's not what it presents itself as then like even then your goal doesn't then become to like seek out that again and again and again your goal is to now like live out the rest you know you might have a vision and then go 40 years and then maybe have another vision like it's it's mm. about you know commitment like it's you don't yeah. get the good things if you make the if you make the secondary goods your primary goods you won't get them. you make the primary goal your primary goal you can get all the secondary ones and keep them in their proper place yeah even in vedanta they have a similar concept but when you you get to the level of yana jhana yoga where it's like the sort of um like the sort of like western shyster stuff that like you see like levitating or setting things on fire or whatnot yeah like that that would the uh the, the uh, like, parlor tricks but th at the same time yeah, though the parlor at tricks. the same time though i think that that is that is something easy for a person to say that you're going to go into this particular thing and you are don't focus on the bright stuff. But, you know, we're people, we're all fallible. And I think that those are the introductory things that people do yearn for when going into any of these uh, kind of systems. Again, I can't get into the mind of everybody. But as far as uh, the point that I was making earlier before uh, Twitter decided to uh, go kaputz, is that I think that there are things that people can start to aspire to, even if people were living in a place without Christianity or without any particular religion, when they would go upon some kind of journey of discovery within the self, you know, maybe they don't have any other teaching to lean on, but they do just have this inherent idea of I'm going to still my mind, I'm going to be calm, and I'm going to try to focus on what exactly, uh, what exactly is out there above whatever perceptions I currently have, then I think traditions do start to stem from something like that and certain understanding of uh, what is the right way to act versus what is the wrong way to act. I think people can get to that kind of level. And it doesn't mean that people should be spiritual tourists just going from one system to another, which uh, I don't know if that was the point that Styx was making here, but in general I think the finding of wisdom can be something that would occur without these uh, particularly rooted spiritual systems. If God is all around us, if this is something that I think is discoverable in, uh, you know, in life, not to say that you're going to figure everything out, but at least go on that journey, I wouldn't say that just these particular prescriptions for how to do it is uh, the only way to do it. 
I think the um the 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 kind of main point of difference between what Sticks was saying and what Peugeot was saying was, I don't know. Sticks seemed to come from the point of view that like these initiatic rights aren't really there's not much of a point to them. Like it's yeah. all just a lot, whatever. And I kind of I disagree with that. I think it's fine to read the books and you know be interested on some sort of aesthetic or, um, you know, initiatory. Uh, participation to these particular religions or rites, whatever it is. But what Peugeot is saying is saying, like, um, active active participation by the physical, like, you know, embodiment of these rituals, it does take you to higher states of, of understanding and um, almost like you are kind of being part of, of this in-group of um, within that particular, you know, religion or whatever. And there's, there's levels to that. And... Um, you know, and it goes back like throughout all of ancient history, like with um, uh, the uh, Egyptian kings, where they would go through their particular trials, and they would have to like physically go through rivers and and these really like you know spooky exoteric type um, initiations, where you know in order to like become king and and ascend to this sort of demigod status, they would have to um, put themselves through a, a type of physical attrition in order to be not only um, see themselves as that particular status of being, but also like the people around them. And obviously this doesn't have to be uh, something that like the average Joe has to do, but like even the act of just physically going to church and praying or whatever it is, that is a form of initiatic right, just as you have, you know, your communion and all that. Um, so to do away with all that stuff and say like, you know, there's no point to it. It's just the LARP is, is kind of ridiculous. There is one problem though with what you're saying, I think it's that, we live at a time where people have access to an infinite amount of information as far as who has the right idea, whether Jesus was just a prophet or whether Jesus was the Son of God, for example, Islam versus Christianity in this sense. So you have different ways of interpreting things as well as questioning whether Jesus did exist in the first place. So imagine if you are somebody who seeks out the truth and you see all of this stuff that points to, well, this particular person may not have existed, there could have been this, there could have been that, you still want to grasp at the truth, but having to go through the rituals where you would confirm the existence of this particular being and attribute the quality of being, you know, the son of God, but also the God, you know, God made flesh, while you have all these other contradictory things going on in your head, it would be easier back when there wouldn't be as much of a focus on all these other things that are going on in the world where things were not as interconnected as they are today. So my question to you is, do you just decide to, like, ignore all those things altogether? You know, like, I'm not going to be aware of any of these other things, any of these contradictions that I've uh, acquired, that I'm just going to be steadfast and believing these things and take any other notion out of my head. Or is there a way where you can seek out a certain truth while still having enough skepticism based on other information that you've encountered? Frog, do you mind if I respond to that real quick? You can go first if you want, but I did want to say something. Yeah, I'll, I'll be real quick on it. I'll just okay. say that, like it's certainly possible. But I, I do agree with you that it's like it's more difficult than ever because of the deluge of information we have today and plus the yeah. lack of active interaction with these initiatory rights and groups that actually gain access to these particular forms of knowledge. Like they simply don't exist anymore. Like like with when um Mithraic uh, you know, traditions were brought up and stuff, it's like that of course that stuff's like not even around anymore. So it's impossible to do it. And so being like a truth seeker in this day and age, it does require to be more of um, 
a satellite observer in it rather than a direct participant because of how like misleading and easily astray you can be but it, yeah, I think it just takes a lot of time. Like this. No, but but you're but you're also saying uh, astray. And one issue that I would have with that, real quick, is that that implies that you're already satisfied in uh, knowing that you know the truth. While somebody would say, "Hey, I'm not going astray. You know, you're the one who believes this particular thing. That I can, you know, look at all these contradictions uh, to it. So in that sense, who's to say who is right in that particular? Uh, that, that's fedora tipping thinking right there. <laughs> it w no, it well, would be it would be fedora tipping if the end result was atheism, and I'm not saying that that's the end result at all. Well, I think that um, if you don't, uh, sorry, Gio, did you want to say something? No, no, uh, I think fog. You finish your point, and then way. Um, then I want to get some new speakers. In sure. Um, fog, did you finish your point, brother? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I I agree with with Lev that it, it is Lev easy. Rudely to cut you. Off. <laughs> sorry. Uh, I'm I just shall never say do it, it again. I shall repent. The example that I was going to bring up would be uh, probably the earliest known um, of someone who did participate as an observer and then became someone of guru-like status in the end um, by being any was an, a satellite observer who'd go through things was good chief and means was mm, not yeah. a very good example of how someone who did start off as an observer that did become initiated in these particular rites and then became a master of sorts. Um, it's obviously a very early example, but it's modern than we have uh, in other examples today. Hmm. Hey, uh, I got I gotta go, but I just want to say that if you just listen to the tone of people's voices, me and Gio are obviously the happiest people in this entire group. Oh, uh, come on. What are you talking nihilism, about? Nihilism and postmodernism, all the Nietzsche stuff and all the like, does Mark Zuckerberg look happy and satisfied to you? How about, like, you know, any of these other people? Oh, wait. That's my main point. No, 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 hold on. Hold on. I, I, got, I got defeated. It's hold on. true. I got, I got an issue with that, though, because I am very much in the, uh, how do I say it? No, I'm not going to say, like, oh, everything is great for me. But I am going to say that I do believe that there is a higher power out there. I may not be, let's say, steadfast in uh, a particular faith, a particular path at this moment. But uh, just the idea that that is the only thing, I think that Geo is a very fascinating person, that Geo, you have a lot of different tastes that would divert away from a lot of your more orthodox, uh, religious, uh, reactionary-minded brethren. I oh, think, don't bring up that I, No, 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 no I think... Okay, okay. <laughs> to be completely fair before I leave, no, you're completely right, and I'm, I'm actually very, very happy that you feel that way, because, um, like, you don't have to necessarily be a Christian to have some idea of God's love. And, like, none of us are entirely co coherent or we would all just be levitating around or something. Levitating. You know? Right, exactly. So that's kind of my point is that um, I, I see Styx and Peugeot as effectively on the same path, which is that um, because of the inherent nature of reality, things just kind of work the way that they work and everything is kind of okay in the Zen sense. But I do believe that Jesus is kind of the ultimate answer to this because, uh, like, no, nothing is ever perfect. Everything is always flawed. So I feel like just to make coherent, paradoxical sense about reality, there kind of has to be at least one perfect thing. Um, yes, so that, it's true. That's kind of, that's kind of my take. So I got to go. Bye. Thank you so Thank much for you, coming in. I would say that take I... Take the floor, brother. Oh, be, be, sure, be, yeah. Before that, I just want to say everybody subscribe. Say. Everybody subscribe to BreakTheRules.tv. That's all I want to say. Go for it.
Yeah, I will say, um, you know, to me sounding black filled, I am an earthly pessimist and a cosmic optimist. Um, but yeah, I think, um, oh, shoot, what was I going to say? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, we were talking about like the uh, the ambiguousness of, of, of being and how it kind of like is a very difficult task to do in in this day and age when it comes to particularly religions and stuff like that. It, it funnily enough, it does go back to video games a bit because in terms of laying out uh, for the average layman, um, you know, states of gaining higher attainment or, you know, ranking in a particular system, whatever, there's really no clearer line than, like, online video games. Like, so when you're going up in ranks and levels and stuff like that, being in clans and online groups and then having this sort of particular uh, godhood status with whether it's in RPGs or, like, the types of gear that you have, like, that's the kind of, like, direct through line that um, I think religions or any type of, like, you know, esoteric, spiritual... Uh, path kind of needs in this day and age to kind of cut through the level of ambiguousness and the uh you know the deluge of information that we have today is is something like that but that's kind of reducing it to something that's very like mm. it's gamifying it <laughs> but but the other the other problem that i've personally had is the idea and i brought it up to jo uh, jonathan Pichot as well is the idea of and again, this isn't coming from, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, atheist, like, oh my god, space. But the fact that there is, at least if you all agree that there is space out there, then there is so much different... No, it's fake news. Yeah, no, well, it's the firmament. well, yeah, again, firmament, again, yes. There's no reason why Jesus, Jesus of space, like, I, I don't buy your whole argument. What do you mean? I mean, literally, why couldn't there just be Jesus on Earth for all of space? Like... Screw it, you know, like, what if we're the no, special I, boys? Uh, well, if you're talking about <laughs> Jesus being on other planets, then maybe. If you're just talking about this planet being the only one... Why, why, would he have to, why would he have to be on other planets? That doesn't make any coherent sense to me. Like, why couldn't there just be like... Yeah. A... No, okay, so basically what you're saying is all the other planets that are out there in the universe, they don't have any role to play as far as having the kind of experience of choosing between good and evil or whatever you want to call it that we're that's we're happening over no, here. Just because Jesus was geolocated on planet Earth doesn't mean that they have no part to play in the cosmic drama and they can I don't know, like the the word could be spread to them. Like I see no I see no problem with this. Like I'm in I'm in America. Was Jesus in America? Go talk to the Mormons. I don't know. No, okay, but when you're talking about the word when you're talking about the word, are you talking about the word being spread through, let's say, a Christian galactic federation starting up on planet Earth and going everywhere into the universe? Or are you talking about hey, other, no, other Jesuses? No. Other Jesuses. Jesus Hold on. Other okay, well, that's, that's the other point then. If Jesus is the same everywhere, then you would have a Jesus Christ appearing on various other planets all throughout the universe. I could buy that. Although I, don't, I don't think so. And also, no? like, you're pretty much calling Jesus racist for a man. So, you know, wait. There was that mean? one TikTok yeah, I mean, priest. No. He did make he did Jesus. make that comment to the Syrophoenician one, but he he was that, yeah, he wasn't being. Yeah. Wait, wait, you're you're, but, uh, you're cutting out there. No, I still. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm being a little bit daft here, but I still don't understand this because you could have a figure like Jesus who ends up embodying the light of God on other planets. What you're saying is that no, that uh, that can't happen? I'm, I'm not really sure what, what well, you mean. 
my can if I can take a crack at that, my response would be that, you know, according to Christian dogma, like Jesus Christ becomes physically incarnate as a human being, a member of Homo sapiens, and uh rises physically from the dead and ascends to heaven still in that body. So now, you know, humanity is integrated in the inner life of the Godhead. Um and I just don't see how that would work if like Jesus were to somehow become incarnate also as other members of other species like that would just that to me that just doesn't so then where with christian doctrine that, that's like, fine but but, but does that Christ mean loosely as, yeah. as like chosen one like you could say that like various spiritual teacher figures have have emerged on other planets i suppose but but yeah, they're yeah, but they're not as but they're not going to be as important as jesus but they're not going to be as important as jesus specifically on planet earth that would be the that would be the outcome of, of what you're saying right uh, sorry, can you repeat that? There, when you said that there would possibly be other spiritual teachers in other planets, but that would still imply, according to what you said specifically about Jesus Christ, that their importance in the celestial hierarchy would be below that of Jesus Christ specifically on this planet, specifically at that time. Sure, yeah. Because yeah, but I, mean, I, would, was, I would consider those to be spiritual teachers, you know? not God become flesh. Yeah, and that's the thing that I have the hard time swallowing. I can understand why you would disagree, but just so you understand my specific issue, it would be pretty much that. The singling out of this planet as far as the experience that embodied creatures would have in achieving uh, a higher state of consciousness, that would be the big difference uh, between uh, you and me. I don't know, man. He had somewhere. You know, and I don't see any reason why there like, spiritual teachers across the universe with the same message. But that I mean, Jesus had it somewhere, and it was, you know, the Middle East. I don't know. He he wasn't in California. You know. Yeah, I know, but the universe the universe, world, is, but the universe is so big. Yeah, so as far as that message spreading just from that one place and spreading nowhere else, that's a hard pill for me to swallow. Well, anyways, we have to get some more speakers yes. on. Uh, Kular, and then whoever wants to yes. talk. Uh, I let in. I let in. Uh, um, I believe Mirad in the last thing wanted to talk. Then Kulad the Mirad. Please don't fed post. I, I made the mistake of letting in. Wait. Do you know the people? Do you know the people in who you're? Mirad follows me. Yeah. Anyone who follows me or love get let on. No. So no. Because you could have. Guys. You could have. You could have trolls that follow you, Geo. You know that. I have a ton of uh, based and red pill trolls that follow me, but that's besides the point. Uh, Here, here's the thing. Oh, if you fuck up, we're gonna put I you on the list. Worship a there Jewish man. I worship a Jewish man, and I live in Ohio. Like, like, can can you comprehend how that might seem completely insane to some people? Wait, do you, you know? do, do you worship the Lubavitcher Rebbe? What do you mean you worship the Jewish man? Literally, Christ. Oh, okay. You know, All right. Yeah. The, well, that's that's like, debated you know, if he was still. Uh, anyways, that, I'm not gonna yeah. get into He's that. He's ethnically um, Jewish. No, but you kind of get, yeah, get my. Yeah. You kind of get my like, you know, controversial point that like he he was theoretically other than me and in a completely different place and blah blah blah. But that's you know, it doesn't offend me. I gotta go. All right, King Salmonfish, right, thank you so much that. for uh, for coming in. Let's get some more speakers in here. Uh, by the way, uh, subscribe to BreakTheRules.tv. You can see me drawing a chicken egg over here, which is like an egg that's flying in the sky. If you go to the actual live stream that this is uh, this is happening on. And this egg, once it falls down, like, he here's the legend behind this. 
once this egg bird falls down because it's tired of flying around all the time, then the egg cracks open and inside of which grows up this creature who grows up to be uh, this guy over here. So you could see it. He's this big chicken man with these protruding, uh, hanging, sagging breasts. And uh, his name is Truster. And he looks up into the sky and he... Uh, he, he's got, if you're not seeing the visuals, he's got one of these Asiatic uh, mustaches. What do you call that style, Geo? Like the... Uh, Fu Manchu? Sort the of. Fu Manchu? Sort of a Fu Manchu. It's kind of like a mix of Fu Manchu and more uh, Eastern, you know, like Russian type of a mustache is going on. Kind of like that painting that an ancestor of mine was in, by the way. So if you remember that painting that was done, uh, you know, this realistic looking painting with the, uh, what do you call it, the Kazakhs? that were writing a letter to the Sultan. You know the one I'm talking about, right? So my father... Oh, I yeah. think the Reppin one? Yeah, the Reppin. So my father's ancestor was the dude who was writing the actual uh, thing down, uh, sitting in the center there. So that's uh, one of the people that I have my genes from. Anyway, let's get to uh, some more uh, some more people here. Let's uh, let's see who we got, Geo. So we got... Merry, Merry Christmas and uh, good uh, Hanukkah, Lev. Merry Christmas. I have... Uh, I am... I am both a Christian and pagan, and I believe uh, the whole earth is uh, is uh, the kingdom of heaven, and then the uh, whole of space is uh, is uh, hell. Uh, does this make sense to anyone? It makes absolutely uh, yeah, sense. Yeah, it's outside the firmament. Yeah. Yes. Well, if we're talking about Agartha, for example, if we're talking about Eden, the the word Eden, from what I understand, is, well, the word paradise, rather, is enclosure. So it does make sense that the inner earth would have been the Eden, that people who we now refer to as Adam and Eve, which I believe was were multiple people back in the time, that's where they were living in, they were really comfy, but then eventually they had to go out. It's kind of like throwing your dog out into the backyard, which my Chinese neighbors did, by the way, because the uh, culture that they came from there not their kids but the parents it was very let's say hostile when it came to the way that the house dog was treated so they took this poor puppy and they put that poor puppy oh, outside taking down for racism love culturalism because it's a different culture like i said their kids have a very different culture than the parents and uh i think that uh, you know their kids are never going to do that they were very sad and eventually they were complaining so much that the parents have put the dog back inside for a while, and then they put it outside again. But anyway, why am I talking about my Chinese neighbors? Uh, let's get some more people in here. A, yeah, I wanted to it, respond real quick to the idea of like the, the this paradise or Eden thing, where there's this you know there's this long kind of uh, geocentric tradition comes in through through kind of um, you know Greco Greco Roman paganism as well as Christianity, and it's and you see it kind of reflected in dante and stuff but it's interesting like in plato's timaeus the earth is the like his kind of creation myth the earth is the center of the universe but it's not because it's the center in the sense of like the hottest place in the, like the best place in the universe right or like the thing everything was around it's the center because like all the higher elements kind of further out and all the kind of base matter drift because it's plato you know matter's bad right so like all the base matter like drifted to the center less to the earth um and so, like, it's at the center, but that's not, like, a position of pride. That's, like, that's where all the garbage gets sucked into. And then, you know, in Dante, you see that that picked up where, like, yeah, you have the paradise on Earth, but, like, to go to heaven, like, it's the higher you go, the more ascended you get. Like, in a paradoxic way, you know, when you get outside of all those spheres into the Empyrean, like, 
that's where the cent the center like the true center in the sense like the the most place or the the place that occupies the central hall like is actually on the rim in some sense like i don't know it's it's interesting that's a very interesting uh, thought that you had right now and it does remind me of the idea of getting stuck in uh, you know as the buddhists talk about uh, you know getting stuck in uh uh, you know, wanting to repeat certain sensations, uh, attachment, that's it. So the idea of attachment in a gravity sense too, there's this mass attachment going on, which then ends up solidifying the spectral forms. And that's something that Rudolf Steiner also talked about, how we are the result of more spectral entities uh, getting stuck and solidifying into particular uh, ways of being. So I don't know, I, I do see there being a certain overlap between uh, those two, uh, those two ideas. So I come from an uh, Islamic perspective. Whoa. And Twitter just crashed. So uh, there, uh, he's probably speaking about the Islamic perspective right now. Uh, Geo, just let him know that this stream has temporarily crashed. I'm going to open it up again. So have no fear. I am opening it up. Everybody subscribe, by the way, to uh, BreakTheRules.tv, Patreon.com slash BreakTheRules. In order to be on God's true path. I just thought that was an interesting fact. Um, Wait, Murad, I am a Murad. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry to interrupt. Wait, so, sorry. I'm really sorry okay. to interrupt. The stream crashed. So whenever the stream crashed, what ends up happening is I have to reboot it again. So the only thing that I heard was uh, Muslim tradition, and then it crashed. So if if it's okay, could you please repeat what you said uh, earlier as well? Not a problem. So one of the titles of God is Lord of the World. That comes from the Quran and. Um, the reality of the possibility of sentient alien life is something that in our tradition that our scholars have taken a look at. Um, of course, because we don't necessarily believe in the incarnation of the Logos in Christianity, it would not be the same theological problems because God could send a messenger to any sentient beings that he created. Um, and then going back further in the stream, I thought it was interesting that we were talking about like the necessity of initi initiation into spiritual orders. Um, because in the Sufi tradition in Orthodox Islam, that is very true. They say that you do need a shake and that there is this very prescribed spiritual um, like leveling that you go through almost. So a lot of it has parallels in between these traditions. I thought that mm. I'd just add that from an Islamic perspective. And it's interesting that somebody like Gurja, for example, he ended up going into uh, Sufism ultimately as the, uh, as the true path. As far as where I end up going, I mean, who knows? But it is interesting to think about also the concept of jinn in uh, Islam, where all the various entities, whether you call them fairies or whether you call them, you know, whatever, they're all considered to be jinn. And there is this idea of these spectral entities in a, in a hierarchy existing, and some could be good, some could be bad, some could be just like in between, playful, mischievous. And I hope I'm getting that part uh, right. But I'm curious, Murad, if you have any uh, thoughts on the matter of jinn. Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, they exist, right? I've had experiences where I think, yeah, these are definitely jinn. Um, they're good and they're bad among them. Some of them are Muslim. Some of them are, you know, shaitan. Just like some people act like shaitan or act demonic. So the, um, in certain places, in very traditional places in Africa, um, during circles of learning, they will leave a spot open for a jinn that may or may not come and uh, join the circle. Mm. But as far as seeing them and stuff, I don't necessarily try and delve into that. It's very dangerous spiritually. So, like, 
Although I am curious, when it comes to even me drawing this, uh, I don't know if you're watching this on YouTube or not, but I'm drawing this chicken Eggman over here, and I have this other drawing, which I would say is very Jin-like in the sense that I'm very, I'm very good at being able to create various interesting looking creatures out of my head and you could say when i say out of my head i mean taking out of the collective unconscious and i see there being a playful nature to that where i don't necessarily see that as being evil or demonic in the christian sense but at the same time i understand that what i'm doing it's not you know just sitting down and praying and fasting and getting into that higher spiritual state but as somebody who does create I do see there being a purpose to that. There is something very interesting about being able to create all of these various forms and tell all these various stories. And I know that in Islam it is haram to have any kind of depiction of anything whatsoever, which is something that as somebody who creates for a living, I would, uh, I would disagree with as far as my occupation goes, but also curious if you have any thoughts on the matter of art as well. Well, I'm not, I'm not a fucky. I can't tell you what is haram or halal. Um, that's something that I, uh, well, I mean, except for the obvious stuff, right? Like obvious degeneracy. Um, we all know that's haram, but as far as creativity and stuff, I would say you'd probably want to talk to like Dr. Shadi El Masri, who's over in the New Jersey area. He has probably more scholarly background than that. I'm not an artist, um, but I respect the arts and part of Islam is being beautification of the things around you so we do have our own artistic tradition that tended to not go with the depiction of forms as much although I yeah, think and, aconism, yeah yeah but i mean we did have the the miniatures tradition um yeah, which yeah. i thought was mm. I, I i like some of those depictions but i'm not um very learned in the arts um not the most creative person on the face of the uh, planet a lot of them was similar to the way that um the Chinese literati painting uh, depicted figures as very like alien and ghostly in a way because the the form of they they believe that it was haram to have that sort of one to one replication of the human form the way that they would in, in Europe and other places. So what ends up happening is that you have in the Iranian miniature um, this approach to figuration, which is quite different and quite mm. alien to the like the western like the uh, le also like, like the leopard for example there was a leopard that was made out of arab yeah. arabic uh lettering yeah yeah plus um like anachronism as well is this creation of this like proto abstraction that comes in the islamic world is is a way of sort of going around that uh the sort of uh, haram nature of the, fi the figure of the self mm. so it's it's very quite interesting it's like to, especially in sufi islam like you have some of the great um like sufi mosques and so forth madrasas that still maintain like the elaborate tile work and uh it's quite um i remember like vladimir Jukowski, the art critic had a great presentation from perspectives on islamic art um so let's get some mm. more... Uh, Although I do have one, one final question about Islam, out of curiosity. When it comes to uh, books such as Bukhari, for example, how important is that in general in terms of Islamic jurisprudence? Well, Bukhari is a book of Hadith, right? So it's a book of traditions that are supposedly or not supposedly preserved um, from speaker to speaker. Um, you get Nijaza in it, so somebody will 
scripts give you all the hadith in an unbroken chain down to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. It really depends on the particularities of the hadith, that hadith's context within the tradition, um, and also your own kind of, your madhab or your way of viewing fiqh in and of itself or like Islamic law. Because like when we say sharia, yeah, um, so sharia it's fiqh. Like Fiqh, not Sharia, yeah. But fiqh is, fiqh is applied, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, and there's there's different meta-paradigms, I guess you'd call them, for mm-hmm. how you view them. Well, within within you know. Fiqh, there is, uh, obviously, you know, matrimony law, law of inheritance, uh, dietary law, things of that nature. But then there is also, for example, morality law, as well as military law. And those things, I think, are always going to be part and parcel uh of uh you know the information that gets passed down so when it comes to sick is more fungible though um Mm. so as far as bukhari goes bukhari is like a source text but you would never go in there and just make a um a conclusion it would be very uneducated to do so Mm. uh, in my opinion but let's say let's say for for, for example real real quick you let's say for example you would have somebody like omar who ended up uh going into uh iran obviously into um uh What's Azerbaijan, various places, and you know, conquering it by the sword. So the question there is, would there have been a justification within something? Well, although he probably he's probably before Bukhari, but in general, would there be certain justifications as far as going into a place? I mean, sure, you could say, well, they wanted to be converted, yada yada. But what would be ju- a justification to pick the sword up in this uh, in this context? Well, I think in pre-modernity, um, a state of constant war, unless peace was explicitly implied, was the norm, right? Mm. And so um, I believe there's a lot of different uh, historical thoughts on like what exactly occurred in the relationship between the early Islamic Empire and, the, and Sassanid Persia. Um, I think they uh, rejected the emissary, so and that's a declaration of war, right? Um but I'm not an expert on mm. that particular history. Like, I can't go into the reports and say X, Y, and Z, or, like, what is or is not allowed. And um, the J word, basically, is what you're talking about, right, um, um, historically. So I can't – I'm not an expert in that stuff because, you know, obviously mm. not as applicable today in a time of wide international treaties, as lame as they may or may not be, mm. depending on who's ruling them. No, but that is an interesting yeah, question um, about, about the treaties. Sure, go for it, go for it. Um, so this is something that's interested me and I just, uh, wondered, you know, be, coming from a Christian perspective and I just wondered if, uh, you had any thoughts on it, if you'd ever thought of this kind of from your Islamic perspective, but this, there's this idea I have that, um, so Islam kind of formed as the Ummah, right? Like as the political community, um, and sort of operated as this political religious community from its, from its kind of, in, from its inception in a lot of ways, whereas Christianity started as this very small minority group within the Roman Empire and had that status for about 300 years. So, I don't know, it's, it's just interesting to think about, like, how kind of traditions of how to square your religion with, with the political system um, have evolved kind of parallel in Christianity, and I wonder if those differences in kind of inception of those two, those two faiths have any effect on that. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that. Mm, interesting. I mean, that that's that's something that people do address a lot. Like, they say, oh, Islam was always a political force. But Christianity also became a political force, too, right? In Byzantine churches today, they'll have a, a, a throne for the emperor of Byzantium. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, any Orthodox friends, but 
I remember seeing this. And I don't necessarily think it's incredibly wrong. Like even in the U.S., we try to say, oh, we have the separation of church and state. But everybody knows that that's kind of tongue in cheek because what did, what did the founders say? This nation doesn't function without a moral and religious people, whatever that means. Hmm. So well, it's about keeping um, it a good balance be because Muslims are used to winning and used to like being an empire that, you know, they say, oh, Islam is always tied into X, Y and Z. But um, there's probably even more to it. I don't think that answers the question, but sorry. Well, there does seem to no, be. No, that's fine. It's, it's just something I've thought about. Yeah. No. Well, also, there's a there's a criticism that uh, in the in the BTR uh, live stream chat. Who is it? Um, let me scroll up here. Um, this is, oh, yeah, Hopper. Okay, Hopper says that the biggest problem with Islam is that there is no trinity, unlike Christianity, just some faceless monad, which leads to perennialism. And it is true that a lot of perennialists later became Sufis, but I guess that, um, they uh, I don't, that I, Islam had yeah. the simplest and most direct sort of, like, route. It was, like, the most conducive to a perennial yeah. sort I, of a... I think you'd have to expand on that more. Um, well, because obviously like we believe like we are quote unquote perennialists and that we're like the last in the chain of truths. So that's probably one of yeah, the reasons exactly. why it lends itself yeah. to it. Hmm. Um, but, as far as the differences between that and Christianity and the, and the theistic, uh, or the Trinitarian stuff, I'm not educated enough to tell you, but I don't quite understand where he's getting at. Well, I guess like, because it did have that like very, um, direct route to Allah. Like I think that it's like the framework of Islam itself up until like, you know, I would say like later permutations, it is conducive to like a sort of perennial, like especially Sufi Islam would be like the perennialist religion, you know, like Gunyan and so, and so uh, many other ones of uh, that, you know, school mm. they, like converted to either Sufism to some kind of like, you know, esoteric orthodoxy. Some yeah. of them still like, mm -hmm. like latched on to Hinduism, but that was, you know, starting like with Ivana Agueli and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. And going, yeah. going to Ginon and then supposedly Evola, but I don't buy that. <laughs> yeah, they say Evola was much, like he became like a, an esoteric Catholic later, but I don't know. I suspicious of that claim. Mm. He was certainly sympathetic to both, like even like Wahhabism. I mean, of course, I mean, come on, that's obvious <laughs> no but, that's yeah <laughs> um wait so wait what, what do you mean uh, what do you mean that's obvious because i know there's this conspiracy theory revolving the origins of wahhabism and at a certain point i just want to say that when it comes to i'm not specifically singling this out but in general when it comes to anything that you perceive as being bad or wrong or things going the other way i think that there should be at a certain point owning of certain things that happen and not attributing them to things that uh, you would have no power over and that wouldn't belong to anything associated yeah. at all with any religion or like, tradition. I, like with Wahhabism, like as a conspiracy theory or something, saying the British did it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they didn't. <laughs> that, that, that vein of things has existed for a long time. Um, it's certain theological errors of Kharijism that yeah. just mm. tend to yeah. pop up every once in a while. So I guess, um, although I do think that yeah. by the 19th century it did like become advantageous yeah. for the British. Well, so, like, man, I mean, just to, just I, like I, for, I consider myself yeah. sort of part of that theological school of atharism, though I'm not part of the Najdi Dao or Wahhabi tradition, hmm. um, because 
inevitably what comes with those movements is that they are basically like everybody is on the the hawk except for myself and and they go and kill a bunch of people right which is what we've seen whether it was the first saudi state second third whatever so um but i mean you can't uh you can't discount and say oh everything's a conspiracy that's pretty yeah uh, that's, that's that's a whole different conversation. I don't want to hmm. drag on the stream. So well, thank you for having me on. Thank, thank you, it. thank you for being here. Thank Absolutely, Murad. So let's see who else we got here. Once again, subscribe to Break the Rules TV. I mean, I'm drawing the uh, excellent Mason. Mason, what's up, buddy? Lev and Geo, I'm a big fan. Love what you guys do. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, how did you, um, how did you discover I, how did I, you discover BTR? Out of curiosity, real quick. Uh, I I've been uh, I've I guess through Sticks and Paggio, and I'm obviously, I'm a big fan of Peterson. Um, I've kind of just stumbled my way into these interesting parts of the internet, really. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, oh. So, yeah, I, I just wanted to talk about, you know, um, I haven't watched the, the video with Paggio and Sticks yet, but I'm a big fan of both of them. Um, just spirituality, you know, coming back, religion coming back, you know, after, um, feels like, you know, Atheism is kind of, um, it's, it's just not as <coughs> prevalent as it was with like, you know, the days of Christopher Hitchens mm -hmm. and Dawkins and that uh, kind of, you know, atheism uh, plus that kind of way. You remember atheism even my, plus? Even in my realm, like in, in the kind of more like emo punk scene, which I'm like in, they're, obs I, I've always found it funny how obsessed with crosses they all are. And, and you know, satanic and, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of 666 and all that kind of shit too. But, they put crosses, you know, on their ears. They they put it yeah. on, you know, ups, upside down, you know, which is also, uh, you know, it's Peter, I think, was crucified yeah. upside down. So it's yeah. still a Christian, you know, image. So I just, I've always found that funny. I just wanted to hear y'all's uh, mm. uh, take on that. Well, the yeah, it's sort of like an edgy, like, you know, haha, like owning the trads. Mm. I think like... No, that's partly... The that energy is still there, yeah. but it's... Not as, like, no, I think there's another aspect to it, though. No, Geo, I think there's another aspect to it, though, which is uh, look at, like, the Goths, for example, who you could say, well, they were poking fun at their, you know, normie uh, Christian parents, but at the same time, this idea of arranging yourself with the cross and all that, the cross is a super perennial symbol. I mean, it's literally two sticks, you know, just combined together, and what you get is a point of everything meeting at one, uh, you know, in one place. That's what you get with a cross. So, for example, if you're looking out there just in perspective, you look anywhere, what you're going to see, you're going to see perspective lines meeting in the middle. You don't physically see the lines, but you basically see everything that you see meeting in the middle. So there's an up, down, left, right. You're always, you're always in a cross. We are always living in a cross. So I think it's something that's always going to be perennial, and uh, that's what i got to say about that. I mean, I do physically and, see and one on the, as well. And on the yeah. other... Sorry. No, I just want to quickly say I do physically see an actual white cross in meditating as well. So that kind of solidified right. this idea that this is a perennial thing that uh, people can observe. No, and they're still doing it. They put, you know, as I said, you know, cross earrings and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's uh, very big. And, um, and also on the other side, I mean, the amount of, you know, witch Wiccan books and stuff I've seen. I mean, that's that, I guess that was my point is like spirituality coming back in a, in a very big way. I mean, um, yeah, and at the same, you know, I'm sure, especially a lot of kids in, in you know, the kind of scene I'm involved with, they probably tell you they were atheists, but they, they definitely don't act like it, you know. 
Well, what what would you say that your audience uh, acts like today uh, versus when you first got started? What are some of the uh, differences that you've uh, noticed? Uh, I would just say uh, there's there's more of a, sp a spiritual kind of aspect coming back. You know, I think you know, uh, like I was saying with you know, Wiccan stuff and um, mm. different kind of uh, yeah, spiritual stuff like that. I think people are you know. Um, uh, let's see. They're they're always interested in uh, astrology. Speaking of which, by the way, we are going to have an, astrolog yeah. an astrologist, uh, my friend Michael Scotto, back on. So, Mason, if you ever want to get a reading done uh, live uh, or not live or cool. private, uh, that's definitely going to be the stream to uh, to attend. And he's been he's yeah. been predicting a lot of things. He predicted the uh, current situation that we're in right now with the, as I like to call it, the Backstreet Boys World Tour. And he predicted this way back in 2019 in the summer, where mm. he said that there's going to be this big thing that's going to change everything. And this thing is going to have something related to China about it. And it's going to happen around like December, January. So that's what he said to me when we were sitting at a pizza shop in uh, New York City in the summer of 2019. And here we are today. So this is definitely someone who uh, I would uh, trust with things like that. I'm trying to figure out maybe there's uh, a way we can make money or something you know, using this, uh, the astrology powers. I feel I uh, compelled to throw in a disclaimer and uh, <laughs> warn you guys away from such mind spiritual nonsense. All right. Uh, what's the uh, disclaimer in full, you'd say? Like, what are some of the things that uh, you would be hesitant about when it comes to astrology? Um, well, I mean, there's, there's certain astrological... Uh, there's certain astrological kind of themes or tropes that show up in the Bible, so I'm not going to say that, like, everything is bs but there are like pretty strong prohibitions against engaging in informative divination and stuff like that so saying. Say, yeah yeah i just There's... think that i just think that generally speaking whenever you're trying to open yourself up to um the spiritual world in a way that's not mitigated through christianity you're always putting yourself in danger whether that's through um you know tarot cards or um whether that's through like psychedelics but that is like, the, uh, that, that, that is have experience there. Like I think that can be through through media that aren't necessarily explicitly Christian in a way. You know, I I set the rules for God, right? Um, we know where God's, we know where the spirit is, but not where it isn't in a way. Um, but I think that you know, it just it's putting yourself in danger when you engage with those forms of spirituality. Well, that's the big question when it comes to humanity in general. If uh, we look, for example, at the idea of there being a certain growth process happening, you know, alongside with something like uh, Christianity coming to the fore, then one interpretation is that human beings go from a state of being babysat by Mother Nature, for lack of a better uh, uh, reference here, where the human beings are more puppet-like, where they're more living in the kind of state where they hear the voice of the gods, they operate under those parameters, and then all of a sudden you get this more of an idea of the self. You get the separation of ancestral blood memory, and you have more of the sense of you as this individual entity. And I think that that may be, if I were to look at the grand scheme of things, just my own interpretation right now, is that idea of being yourself 
means that you have a certain amount of responsibility now that you didn't have otherwise, where the decisions that you're making, they may karmically or whatever affect you that much more significantly because you are taking more of a charge of the decisions as opposed to having them just guided from something else. So much like if we're talking about societies where there is a law that if you do something bad, they're going to chop your hands off or they're going to do something that would be, you know, very gross in a uh, modern in a modern context. And you could say that those people who undergo that kind of state of conditioning, they're more used to the idea that I'm going to do something uh I'm not going to do something bad because I don't want my hands chopped off as opposed to I'm not going to do something bad because inside I would actually feel bad and I would feel like I would be hurting the person by doing this particular thing. And I have, uh, I have noticed that there are people like that, that when you apply force, when you apply uh, strong laws, they come into obedience. When the laws are out, when there are no laws then they start to act really horribly and do very despicable things. But then you have other people that were raised in a different way that just generally they wouldn't lie, they wouldn't do any bad things, not because they're afraid, not because they think that if I'm going to lie or do these bad things, I'm going to go to hell, but in general because they have that much more of an idea that, you know, that I cannot live with myself. I cannot live with myself for doing something horrible to another human being. And so what exactly I could attribute that kind of growth to, this, uh, you know, this taking on of uh, responsibility, I wouldn't say that the only way to do that would be to have somebody tell you that if you're going to do wrong, you're going to hell. And I wouldn't say that the only way to achieve that is to be in an organized religion. But uh, that's all i got to say about that. Well, that's kind of a simplistic... Uh equation there that i think like a lot of people get confused when it comes to like specifically like american protestant like version of like evangelical christianity like do good or you go to hell like it's kind of i don't know like that's it, there's is a more complex equation there when it comes to how you align yourself to the the lessons and the behavior of christ like there's something else going on there than what a lot of like the media mm. depiction of it no but as far like, as far as most people though like uh if you're a peasant living in europe i mean for one thing you hardly even knew what the priest was talking about if you didn't speak latin you know uh, before a certain point where these books are to get uh, you know translated and uh, redistributed with the printing press so before that number one you didn't even know what the priest was saying most of the time if i if i get that correctly and number two i do think that people uh you know uh, would operate more on the sense of fearing punishment, fearing damnation, as opposed to inherently feeling that if I do A, B, and C to this person, that that's going to be, you know, inherently self-evidently wrong. At least that's that, that that's my interpretation. I don't. Well, I think that yeah. yeah. I mean, I, there's something to that. There, I, I I think yeah. Obviously, it's better if you choose to love and follow Christ out of out of love for the truth and for goodness than out of fear of punishment in some sense. But like I think there's also a flip side to what you're saying, which is like there's this idea, especially um I think on kind of libertarian Christians, um, that like the society we're living in now is kind of the best possible one because if someone chooses to follow God in this society, ideally it's resolved like this um 
the highest, the, the choice with the highest degree of freedom possible. Um, and that there, I think there's some, this is something I'm kind of torn on because there is something to that, but there's also a degree to which I think that, um, you know, the classical tradition was pretty much unanimous on the idea that laws exist to invocate virtue, um, not simply to free people to make, you know, the maximally free choice in every, every given situation. And then I think you end up stumbling on ideas of like, oh, what is, you know, what does it mean to make the, the choice with the highest amount of freedom possible? Like, is that even a coherent concept? Like, is it possible to have this kind of completely neutral society in which everyone choose equally or you know, is the idea that there's this blank slate just a, a mirage and that you actually being inculcated and indoctrinated with certain ideas that just, you know, Christianity. And I think that there's a lot we're starting to see with folks though on that, uh, you know, that, that uh, backs that up. I don't know. It's interesting. Like with the woke stuff, we are having uh, other groups of people coming to the fore, like parents who are very dissatisfied with the kind of uh, you know, critical race theory education that their kids are getting. I wouldn't say that a lot of those parents are religious or traditional in the classic sense. Oh, hold on. We have crashed one more time. Everybody bear with me. I'm going to go back into the space one once again. Oh, I switched accounts. Never mind. I'm going back in here. Hold on. Everybody, be patient. I am navigating this thing. Patreon.com slash break the rules. You know it. You love it. You want it. You need it. I'm coming back into the space. Here we go. Hold on. I, uh, oh, I, I was out. Lost. No, I am back. I am back in the space. Sorry oh, about that, everybody. Sorry. He's just taking a contemplative pause. No, this is what happens. <laughs> this is what happens when you use an emulator. But uh, it is well worth it because I hate using the phone. I love the emulator much more. But anyway, the point that I that I was getting to here. Uh, let's see if I could bring that point back. It is that I feel like a huge portion of people who are reacting to a lot of this woke uh, stuff that they see on the internet. In a way, I feel like there's also a bit of blindness going on there for the majority because I feel like a lot of their motivation stems from their disgust and probably rightfully so at a lot of these things that they're seeing. But at the same time, I think it makes them perceive whatever. And again, I'm not singling anybody out here because I know that none of you think that if we go back into the good old days, then everything would be absolutely fine. That would be a gross mis mischaracterization. But I would say, though, that certain aspects that existed back then end up being temporarily, let's say, ignored or maybe justified sometimes. And my my concern here is that I don't know what it was like back then. The only way we know what it was like back then right now is just reading historical sources, reading what people said, but even that's not going to be enough to really know. The only thing I would say would qualify as far as being as close as possible is if, let's say, you have a, um, you have like a, a relative, you have somebody who's really, really old, who lived during the 30s, 40s, you know, in more of a rural setting, that I think would be the closest thing to it. And even there, there would be a certain amount of bias. But the reason why I'm saying this is, it may be that a lot of the fears that people have of the old days are unjustified, and there may have been this uh, natural order that people followed and were, you know, that they were more in harmony, or it could be hell on earth. Or it could be a kind of barbaric society that we can't even imagine. And I'm not saying this to justify the wokeness. I'm not saying this to say that this idea of this purely materialistic uh, landscape is uh, healthy. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm trying to 
get at here is that there could be a way to balance these two things together. So as far as looking back in history, I'm not going to speak to the Russian peasantry because uh, that is my particular uh, pet peeve as far as the things that I found out about it. But as far as, let's say, European peasantry, how a lot of people function back then, what exactly would be considered to be we got a $15 patron Samantha thank you so much for becoming a patron nice. I just wanted to announce that right now right here patreon.com slash break the rules anyway going back to this question of what life was like back then the one quick illustration I would make of a historical um, you know historical reference I don't remember exactly where it's from I spoke about it earlier with uh, France pre-revolutionary France there was this scene depicted of uh you know men and women meeting up uh you know having coffee or tea or whatever or snails you know frogs whatever they eat there and they were oh watching <laughs> they were watch <laughs> they were watching uh someone being punished uh by the wheel you know having their entire body be torn the limb Catherine wheel. yeah the Catherine wheel torn limb from limb and they were just very casual about it this was like commonplace so if i compare that you know, that being commonplace to today, that being seen as very barbaric, I would say that we do have a different, we do have a different psychology when it comes to what is acceptable. And I wouldn't even go as far as to say, well, that was acceptable to them. So, you know, maybe we can get used to that again. Somebody, oh, is that snoring or is that the chair? But anyway, you get the idea of what I'm trying to get here. So I am curious from... It's my cat, I think. Oh, that's no, even I... better. Yeah, so go, go yeah. for it, Quay. Yeah. I get what you're saying, Lev. Like, they, it, there, there is definitely a temptation of glasses, and you know, like in in William Shakespeare's time, like the you know plays of the the plays of the globe, like Hamlet, like his competition wasn't like other plays as much as it was like bear baiting. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, should you know, we think of it as so high. You know, back then it'd be like, oh, should we go see Hamlet? Or we should go see a bunch of dogs tear a bear to pee. You know, like. <laughs> Some people talk. Yeah, exactly. Um, that we should bring back that term for something bear baiting. Um, that could be a... <laughs> Is it really all that different bear in this day, by the way? This kind of like warism for barbarism that we already have. Like, you see, like, you know, it, I mean, Live Leak's not around anymore, but like, you know, graphic videos online and stuff like that. It's yeah, almost crazy the same. Shit. Well, the, no, the, voy the voyeurism. Bear... Sorry, real quick. Yeah. Right, can I... Go I for it. Say Go bear for baiting it. is when you take. Uh, you know, a gay man who's like very large and uh, is where you put like a, a character who's a gay man who's very large and very into a piece of media in order to get those, those oh, like God. queer baiting, but just bears. Oh, man. Oh, my. The bear, I get it. The bear, yeah. Yes. The otters are going through the bear baiting. Um, um, but yeah, uh, there's this, there is this, uh, there is this temptation to like fantasize like, you know, the old, uh, you know, illiterate peasant who just, like, is this devout Christian uh, wherever he is, right? And I, I think there's some truth to that. I remember when I was in Spain one time, I, like, climbed up this mountain, and there's, like, a cross at the top of this other guy who was climbing the mountain, and he's just like, oh, yeah, we have this cross here. Like, say a prayer to the, the patron saint of this mountain range to, to like, uh, for, like, a safe descent. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. But then, like, also, I was literally just on a flight, like, a week ago, and I was sitting next to this Russian uh, woman and she was like i was asking her about like russian orthodoxy and she was like oh yeah like people you know people just go through the motions and then they just like donate money to the church the priests will pay for the will pray for them and they think they're covered so i think there's both and i think there's pitfalls involved in like universalizing either 
I agree. It's important yeah, to get a good balance of these things. By the way, is that your cat? So, I, I well, feel like somebody's well, snoring in the background. I feel like somebody's snoring in the background. I don't know. Are you sure that's your cat purring? You sure there's a... Anyway, let's uh, let, let's go to the next uh, next one. <laughs> Tom's yeah, rolling. Yes. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, it's my cat Gertrude. She's laying on me. So. Mm hmm. Go for it, buddy. Well, I came in a little late. Uh, I came a little late to the space, and I appreciate you guys letting me speak here. I will say that um, one thing that uh, we kind of have to think about is that you know there was a diversity of, of views. Even when it came to like Christianity for the like the peasants, for example, like I would say that, that most likely you had people with different intensities of faith, and I think like people romanticize the amount of faith everyone had. It's that people were like, "Yeah, I believe it," and some people were like, "I really believe it." And I think now, since we've lost that disconnect, a lot of like Westernized countries have lost that connection with the idea of like, "Yeah, you're Christian, but like you can like choose how intensely you want to be Christian." I think that's one factor, and I think. Now people are kind of searching for their intensity of faith and they're finding like a weird esoteric versions of Christianity or, you know, other, I don't want to get to like the most basic bitch. Like, you know, they're finding other like uh, means of uh, expressing that in intensity um, in, in other platforms and other beliefs and other organizations and so on and so on. And I think uh, one one issue we have in, in uh, a lot of the Western countries is that there's a disconnect between, like, like the grandparents um, passing that on. A lot of grandparents didn't really enforce religiosity on many people. I think maybe maybe that maybe I'm talking out of turn because of my experience. But a lot of, like, a lot of grandparents never really kind of pushed their their faith on their kids. And I think the grandparent question, the GQ, uh, is such a such an important thing because. Uh, that's kind of the person that gives you that older knowledge and people never really experienced that. And especially now, since grandparents are encouraged to just like fuck off and like rent RVs, like you're just going to keep losing that connection to mm. the past. And then you're going to be forced to just go on Reddit and figure out what you believe in. Amen, yeah. brother. No, that uh, that really, really sucks. I would say that for my own uh, family, my grandma is, uh, uh, you know, still there with us, you know, knock on wood that's acacia wood by the way for my standing desk but uh you know my grandma she's 80 years old so she was born in uh, 1941 and she was born on a boat when they were evacuating saint petersburg during world war ii so she's got a lot of memories a lot of recollections one of the things that she has is her uh, her grandmother was one of the kindest people in the world, extremely welcoming, who ended up getting married to this uh, asshole guy who I think, uh, I think he gave her beatings and things of that nature, but in general, just like, this was not, uh, this was not a nice person, while at the same time, he was, you know, he was a practitioner of the Jewish faith, he was very, you know, he was considered to be very, uh, very religious, very pietous, but the fact that he treated my grandmother in this way, as were other people, that would not be something that I would want to have transferred into the next generation, despite any of the wokeness stuff that we're talking about. So her, on the other hand, like she was ultra welcoming. And during the pogroms that were occurring around that time, I believe that she was um, saved by the uh, people, you know, by the uh, ethnic Russian people who were around that area, because this is how kind of a person that she was. And they saw that in her. I'm not sure if she was as uh, practicing, and my grandma, you know, obviously with the USSR, not practicing either, but the fact that you were still able to 
take in, and I am able to still take in, the kind of qualities that my grandmother possesses that I think she passed on to my mom and so on and so forth. That is something very important. I think that goes beyond just uh, going into a room and praying. And uh, I'm not saying that that's bad, but I'm just saying that I think that there are certain cultural qualities that should be passed down. And we're at a we're at a bit of a breaking point, like I said before, where there's so much information out there and the whole space thing that I personally mentioned. I got to get into that again. But there's so much stuff out there that makes me think it's going to be very difficult for people to just say, I am going to reject any counter knowledge to this particular thing and just go with it. Maybe maybe that is going to be the case, but I, I think that that's, that's a big problem. A certain level of uh, openness to, from the, I mean, what you selectively take on as the next generation is up to you, but um, having that window into those, I don't know what you call it, old world values is definitely something that a lot of younger people should be more open to today yes and um yeah and the, the 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 problem is is that window into that particular old world is really closing quickly because like they're all dying off now and you know um going back into this kind of like shell of, of looking these things up on reddit or online or anything like that is is yeah it only adds to the noise of things it's it's gone from like this inverse of where the peasantry would be like closed off to the world back in the day and it would have to kind of rely about around the um community around them to kind of instill these particular values or the you know the religious institutions that they would go to and now it's it's the inverse of that now is that there's, there's so much noise to it and it's it's the difficulty is deciphering between that noise what is the truth and what is um the lies of it well yeah. just to uh just to just to push back on the the total black fill a tiny is um I think you can make a lot of analogies between living through now and the environment in which Christianity actually first, uh, first emerged. You know, the Roman Empire at the time was incredibly cosmopolitan. Um, you know, you did not, you obviously didn't have the internet or printing press, but like you did have this large empire where you could disseminate information across the entire empire, safety of travel and stuff. You had enormous diversity of, uh, of religious. Uh, of religious expressions across the empire, all of which were more or less integrated into um, all, of, all, all of which were more or less integrated into the empire. You know, they it was like, oh, I'll try this, I'll try that. A lot of syncretism, a lot of um, you know, you even had this large uh, proportion of people who were called God fears, where there was this big like Judaism fad where nobody wanted to get circumcised for obvious reasons, but these like. Romans and Greeks would be like, oh, yeah, I'll like give the synagogue, hear what they have to say and stuff. So I think in some sense, you could say like, yeah, right now the the hyperabundance of information does make it difficult to make this absolute commitment um, in the same way that like the availability of casual sex makes it difficult to get married. But at the same time, like people do still people do still get married. And, you know, it happened. Somewhere, and I think it, I think it could happen again. Well, yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, we cut off Roland, uh, so I, I want to give him a chance. But also, I think that um, it's just sorry about that. No, no, it's, no, it's still we all did it. Um, <laughs> no, I think it is it is true. People do get married, but there is sort of the air being sucked out of these institutions because of the sort of uniquely modern condition. But sorry, Roland, you wanted to follow up with uh, what you were saying. Yeah, I mean, I. Yeah, that's a, you guys made a lot of great points. And um, I would also say is that, um, 
like what we're going to pass on to our kids, and I hope all of you have kids, unless you're ugly. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, is that uh, like what we're going to be passing down to them is essentially like a cockroach mindset, which is like kids just just get do as best you can without getting caught and make as much money as you can and as be as stable as you can. Like that's that's the advice that our kids are probably going to get from us, even if we want to say it or not. Like we're not going to teach them to be like assert. Like we're going to teach them to be assertive, of course, but. I think one issue that we're going to be passing, like one thing we're going to be passing down is that kind of like our lived experience. And we're not going to get the lived experience of like, so let's say someone from like the Oregon trail or something. And I think that's kind of a, a sad reality that we have to deal with, but it's not like, again, I'm not like black filled or anything. I'm a pretty white filled guy about the future. I think the certain, these conditions will produce uh, a great uh, turning point. Um, and turning, also, the turning point USA. I just, <laughs> turning point UK, dude. Come on. Uh, no, but uh, regarding the whole uh, the Christianity thing, I, I think you're totally right there. Um, say, is that right now since that since there is no real belief system, um, even the Christian like the Christianity people believe in is kind of like like wonky because it's like you're not really expressing it. It's like the Christianity where you're like, I love all everyone. It's like then you're not really like, how can you believe something if you don't like oppose something at least or like assert yourself in, in a way where you make yourself antagonistic to others. Mm. Like, like Christianity came out and like, it literally challenged the fucking Roman empire. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? You can't, you're not challenging some fucking, some LGBTQ TikTok mom. Like, you, you know what I mean? It's like, you have to be confrontational, but, mm. uh, I would challenge that. What you just said right there. Go for it. All right. Well, I think, you know, I, before I became a Gnostic, I was a Christian for a long time. Actually a fundamentalist Christian. I was a Catholic. Uh, I jumped around. I went to evangelical. I became a born again. I was in prison for a while. That's where I found the Bible. I read it like four times when I was in there. Um, and, and and if you really break it down, the New Testament, there's verses that tell you, like for example, give to Caesar what is Caesar. Sounds simple, but there's principle behind it. Um, and it's backed up by other verses. For example, uh, Jesus saying, "Do not be anxious about anything." But in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Um, let every person be subject to government authority, for there is no authority except for God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Be subject for the Lord's sake for every human institution, whether it be the emperor or a supreme or the government governors sent by him to punish those. Basically, over and over, it's Christian theology to not give a fuck about what's going on. The, the archon principles in person in in archons of this age, right? They're gonna do what they're gonna do. They're wicked. You're, there's nothing you can do about that. Satan owns the government. Your job is to get saved and get other people saved and go to heaven. That's it. Well that I mean that that's a very really disagree with what I'm appropriately saying. that's the very Gnostic view. Um <laughs> I can see <laughs> yeah. it right in your name. Um but yeah, the idea that like the the world, the the social world, the material are evil, and that like it's our goal to escape and go to heaven is a very I think it's a very Christian idea. You know that that strand certainly is there. That um, you know there are there are powers of this age that, turn, and turn the other cheek. Yeah, and, yeah, and turn the other where, cheek. Where, yeah, certainly. My question is where where in the, where in the New Testament does it say to be a rebel and to fight against the government? Where does it say that? Oh, it doesn't say to fight against the government. I would agree with you on that. Um, you know, St. Paul didn't show up and say, like, 
slaves take up arms and kill your master. So he didn't have a he didn't have a not my emperor sign for Nero. <laughs> exactly. Well, no. I mean, but he, he was, was arguing with Agrippa, who said, um, "I may have uh, but little faith to believe in what you were saying, Saint Paul." So that was like sort of power persuasion to go up against kings yeah. with his new faith. Uh, well, when Paul said that, when Paul said like be subject to the uh, be subject to the authorities, like the emperor at the time that he that was. It wasn't like <laughs> be subject to the authorities if they're like, but otherwise rebel. I mean, he was certainly saying, and he didn't say, like saying like slaves take up and kill masters. He said slaves obey your masters. But at the same time, he was injecting this enzyme into history that did ultimately lead to the abolition of slavery, the only civilization to ever abolish slavery, by the way, which which then led to its its basic abolition. I will say this though, in your to agree with you, the Book of Galatians. Is definitely a liberty-based, um, uh, you know, philosophy behind it. And Paul himself, like you said, he was going into he was going into synagogues, guns blazing. So yeah, I, 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 I'm not going to say it was. It's all about just sitting in the corner and not doing anything. But I will say, if you, if you, if you're if you're if you're more worried about the you know the powers that be than salvation or in my case now gnosis then i think there's more spiritual growth to be had does that does that make sense yeah it's true like politics nowadays is largely fake and g-slayer so I, I i i guess like but at the same time i wouldn't want to go down the path of like i don't know some kind of like strange amalgamation of like your reaction bug clear pill like oh just let them do whatever man and then maybe one day Caesar Augustus will come along, but I, I don't but was it also through uh, was it not through Constantine that we do have the Christianity that we have today? So if and you could say, well, this was divinely inspired, whatever I don't know. But if you do have somebody like Constantine who came in and enacted Christianity through the empire instead of uh, what it was before, unless I'm mistaken, of the Christians being uh, persecuted, maybe more or less tolerated, maybe towards the time of Constantine, I think. But uh, if not for the Roman Empire picking that up, uh, and keep in mind, that was also a time where, and I'm not saying that this is the only attribution to why Christianity was chosen, but this was a point that was brought up uh, before about when you have something like Mithraism, which was heavily practiced, and uh, uh, a lot of the legionnaires, a lot of the uh, Roman soldiers were very much interested in that, from what I understand, then they did not want to have the Iranians influencing uh, their own people uh, religious-wise, so that may have been one reason why Christianity was adopted. I don't know. Also, I want to point something out, too. You guys were talking about Islam earlier being uh, sort of a being influenced by Christianity itself. Someone was talking about that. There's actually a story in the in the in the chapter called El Kaf, the cave, where it talks about seven sleepers going to sleep for three hundred years and waking up under a Muslim uh, a Muslim emperor, right? And it was such a glorious miracle. Well it turns out that this story is actually a Byzantine legend and there were seven Christian sleepers. This is in the uh, 400s, I think it was, 400s AD when this was written. And there's hundreds of manuscripts in all different languages scattered out throughout the Roman Empire of this story of seven Christians going to sleep under pagan rule and waking up under King Theodosius, who was a, a devout Christian. 
and it's the exact same story, except they just replaced a couple mm. words. I, I got to get Murad's... Like, hold on. in the Quran. I got to get Murad. You're, you're up next, bro. Yeah, the, the point of it being in the Quran was because it was such a well-known story. Um, so if you go into Surah Al-Kaf and then the toughest here about it, which is like the, the exegesis, the fact of the story was because like the, uh, the, the religious legends of the time are being used to test the Prophet Sallallahu And so they mentioned the cave story, right? Where they went to sleep under pagan rule and then woke up, up under Christian rule or monotheistic rule because we wouldn't necessarily say that um, all the Christians at the time were like bad or anything like that, or that Christianity is not preferable to outright paganism. So it's the fact that it's known in the Roman Empire was kind of the point, right? That's one of the reasons why I think it was um, why Allah Subhanahu wa Taala put it in the Quran. I mean, it's it's not a big deal to me that it was known in the empire. You can go to that cave in Turkey, or at least one of the supposed locations, and they they pretty much celebrate that fact, right? So. Yeah, there is a degree to which, you know, in Christianity, like there are there are Christians, especially like pacifist Christians who will say like, oh, everything Constantine, right? But, you know, as as a Christian, I think that it's it's one of those things where you can kind of try to drive yourself crazy kind of factual at the end of the day, like that is the history of Christianity. And I think you have to own it. And I think you have to you know, I I think maybe that that was perhaps God's plan for the church for a time, you know, I think that age is certainly coming to its end and we're seeing kind of the final vestiges of it disappear now. Um, but I, I, I don't think you can just so casually reply, like write it off and just be like, Oh, that was all, all a mistake. Like, you know, it, it is something you have to own as a Christian. Yeah. 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 So I had a question for some of the Christians here, but that's okay. Um, for not rebelling and stuff, how do you guys interpret Luke nineteen twenty seven, which is the, but those enemy, mine enemies, bring them hither. I don't want to necessarily say the whole verse out loud. Is that in the sheep goats passage? Um, I, I don't know if it's in the sheep's ghost passage, but it's Luke nineteen twenty seven, and. and and when he had thus spoken, it's 28, he, it goes, he went before ascending to Jerusalem. I was just wondering if you guys kind of, especially for, for Gnostic, um, how you would maybe look at that passage given, like, you know, the, the, the perhaps the more ascetic thought towards politics. Which passage were you talking about? I was looking at something. Uh, 1927. Okay, I found it. Yeah, so this is the, this is the Paratalents, um, you know, uh, stories uh, for anyone who doesn't know it. Um, wealthy, uh, uh, wealthy nobleman goes away on a journey, leaves three different amounts of money uh, with three different servants, and asks them to, uh, you know, try to make make money for him. They invested it. Two of them invested in various ways, make debates of turn. One of them buries it in the ground. Um, I think is that correct? Yeah. I, yeah, I got um, a good interpretation for this. is saying like this somebody who is giving all they have right but it's only a little bit but it's all they have it's 100 like i have 15 dollars to my name right and i give it all to the you know the church or whatever and someone has a thousand dollars 
but they give 500, right? That's half what they have or something. The person who gave the $15 actually gave more because they gave all of what they have. They're now broke. The other person still has $500. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, what I would also say is this, uh, this occurs within a parable. So when he's talking about like bring my enemies here, like isn't Jesus of Nazareth, the historic person, like bring the execution of the enemies of Jesus of Nazareth, you know, during his lifetime, this is a, an image of final judgment. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It comes. It actually comes down to being like faith in in the end. That's mm. that's the that's like the the um, the the skeleton of all these parables all have to do with faith. And sure. Wait, so, yeah, sorry, so sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Uh, wait, down tradition. Wait, real quick, real quick, parables. real quick. Sorry to interrupt. I want to see if uh, Quay, if there is anywhere where you can go or choose a better mobile signal, because I do notice that sometimes your signal uh, goes off and it gets a little bit glitchy. If not, no worries. But I just want to make sure. Oh no, I'm uh, I'm in. See, there we go. I can't hear what you're saying. I don't know if there's any way to change the uh, signal right now. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention. And everybody, subscribe to BreakTheRules.tv. This is currently being live streamed on BreakTheRules.tv, as well as DLive, as well as Odyssey, as well as Twitch. Facebook even, everywhere, and you can all see the links to the various places they are rotating link uh, uh, pastes that go on in the chat. Also, follow our Discord. All the people who are here who are not on our Discord, get into the BTR Discord. I'm going to provide the link in the chat as well. Anyway, uh, I'm going to try one more time. Quay, let me know what the specific situation of your mobile signal is, and then we're going to get back into the discussion. Well, oh, yeah, we're rolling out saying, a point. Well, I was just saying, I'm on my Wi-Fi map. So, you know, this is probably as good as it's going to get. All right. No problem there. All right. So, uh, uh, yes, Gio, go for it. You... No, roll, roll Roland. Point, yes. So, uh, we're going to wrap up soon, I guess. Yes. I'm, I'm famished, man. I'm like, I'm, I'm having, uh, I'm having visions right now <laughs> in my hunger. So. We should announce this, what's coming up, right? That's right, yes. So do we have the confirmation of that uh, specific date, though, the one that I just sent you right now? So that is... Yeah. Okay, that, excellent. That is confirmed. Okay, so Tuesday, January 6th, 8 o'clock, Geo and Nasik Informant, uh, and not only that, but Nasik Informant... Oh, I didn't do, consent Do you want to announce the special I guest? Uh, Nasik Informant, do you want to announce the special guest that we're going to have in the tag team? Yes. Some of you might know him. He's well-known in the Gnostic arena, for sure. Miguel Connor, the host. Wait, you cut off there. Yeah. Wait, you cut off there, but, oh, but uh, Miguel sure. Connor, the... Uh, Miguel Connor yeah. of Ion Gnostic Bite Radio. He's well-known. He's been around for a long time. He's one of the... He was uh, best friends with Dia Murdoch, who's the source for the movie Zeitgeist, basically. Which has been debunked, by the way. But anyway. Oh, God. No, it's been debunked. I'm saying it's been debunked. That movie's been debunked. But that he, he was in that circle for a while. Now he's a Gnostic. But he's been around for a long time, and he's a good dude. And he, I, he actually watched our stream and really liked it and thought this would be a good idea. So this is uh, this that'll be my partner for Gnosticism, and and, uh, uh, and Geo. Yeah. As far as your partner goes, you know the deal. We are looking for somebody that'll bring in the numbers. This is something where I gotta stress. Like I love listening Take to classic everybody. Classic Theus is classic Theus gonna classic bring in the theist. numbers? Is he gonna bring in the numbers? Yes. Absolutely. Okay, there we go. Classic. I'd love to talk to you some at some point, Gnostic, uh, just about Christianity. I really enjoy talking to you. 
So they got a good. If you yeah, Quake could come oh, on too. Sorry. Well. Yeah. I have really enjoyed talking with you, and I'd talk just like the points on which you bridge about uh, Christianity. And uh, sorry about so, sorry, not sorry about the uh, Nagamati. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, 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 with with that, with, with that spicy, uh, spicy take, we are going to be concluding this after-hour stream. Wish me luck in the editing bay. Uh, you know, YGO. Anyway, I hope, do you think? Do you think that it could fuck us up on Twitter? I don't like, th- no, I don't I don't think on Twitter, but uh, I heard a stream is being reported, but I think they specifically wanted to go after like Nick Fuentes or whoever. Like yeah. I think I don't know. No, I think fine. I, I mean know. this stream is already over, so there's no reporting to be had since this is already this is already uh, coming to a uh, close over here. Oh, by the way, speaking of speaking of Twitter uh, spaces streams being reported, we are gonna have next Tuesday Tommy Sotomayor coming on Break the Rules. Uh! So uh, get uh, get ready for that, everybody. And once again, don't forget to subscribe. Keep subscribing. They're calling their buttholes pussies. Geo, Geo. Sorry. That does that does remind me. And by the way, we are almost at eight thousand. So we are at seven thousand nine hundred and eighty-five subscribers on YouTube. YouTube. Uh, the link is uh, breaktherules.tv. You go there. You're on YouTube. Click the subscribe button. Click the bell. For those who don't know, this stream was live streamed or still is technically. Uh, Geo, I can hear you typing. It's a, you got to mute yourself oh. when you type. So this stream is being broadcast right now on YouTube, on DLive, on Facebook, uh, if you can believe that, on um, on Twitch, on Odyssey, multi-channel. We want to be everywhere. We want to get our voices uh, everywhere. So what you need to do, all the people who are listening to this right now, share the heaven out of this. Share the heaven out of the YouTube link. Share the heaven out of the Jonathan Peugeot Sticks conversation, which was a brilliant conversation. I'm really uh, happy uh, that uh, this was put on. And, uh, yeah, in general, support uh, BTR through patreon.com slash break the rules. We got a new patron today. You get a lot of great uh, bonuses for the uh, $10 patrons. Uh, oh, sorry, $5 patrons. Yeah, I wish it was $10. For the, te- for the $5 patrons, you are going to get Patreon-only streams, including the notorious Geo versus Geo's own very own father debating about Israel, which hopefully we're going to have uh, very soon, and uh, other streams uh, as well. You are also going to get early access to the MP3 episodes after they um, after the initial stream comes out before they're released to the public through iTunes and all that good stuff, uh, Spotify, and we are on iTunes, we are on Spotify all of those things. So anyway, patreon.com slash break the rules gives you that for $20. You are going to get very beautiful magnets, which you have seen before uh, on the stream. You know, you know, you know, them, you love them. $30 gives you the beautiful prints from Giovanni Panacchetti. Bella. Buongiorno. Uh, Delicioso. Oh my God. <laughs> anyway. Stream pulled for races. Molto bene. Cheesioso. Wait, no, how, no. Oh no, it goes like this. Mamma mia. Cheesioso. Molto bene. Delicioso. How did it taste? I've how did it taste? Oh ho 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 ho. Now Pringles are pizza delicious. That was from a Pringles commercial from the 90, like 1998 or something yes, like that. I, I <laughs> seem to recall. <laughs> I remember when they came with the pizza pringles. I remember that. Yes. Yeah, so, so anyway, uh, we are ending I'm, this. I'm mortified. <laughs> <laughs> we are ending this thing right now. Please subscribe. Breakthe rules.tv. All the other platforms. Uh, take care. Mwah, good night, everybody. Well, good.